0: Benet is like, why are you suddenly into this girl, this sorceress, they call her. Yeah, because she's a fucking witch. She turns a guy into stone and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And
1: if you're Benet and you're a crusader, you're literally like a warrior of the church or were until recently, you're just like, that's a witch. (laughs) That's a witch. Yeah. (laughs) Why is my boyfriend cavorting with a witch? X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, People mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is... Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of a homo superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is returning 3 Pete guest, plus Ooh. two bonus episodes, if you really want to count them, in which case... And I do. Yeah, I mean, I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> Anthony Oliveira, the only Marvel writer with whom I have shared a bed and annoyed him with my little rickety fan thing that I brought with me to Canada.
0: Oh, yes, the fan thing. (laughs) I love that everyone else is like, oh, Dr. Ritty and whatever, Marvel writer. And I'm like, he takes a dick like nobody's business. (laughs) We used to Fuck. I forgot about your fan. I like your new apartment. It's very non-Euclidean. Yeah,
1: I'm sitting in my bedroom in my new apartment here in West Hollywood. There is nothing on the walls. And so when the Zoom clicked on, <laughs> Tony was like, where are we? Why yeah, is this happening?
0: It looks happening? like you might be from a remote location. But also, the, I've never seen a Zoom that's angled into the corner of a room. Like, into where two walls and a ceiling meet. So- <laughs> I feel like
1: maybe it could be a tomb in which I would be kept for eight hundred yes. years, guarded maybe by you knights. You got out a
0: few times. Maybe you. Didn't. Maybe I didn't. It's not Unclear super clear.
1: exactly how it would work. <laughs> but we are here to talk about. I cannot believe you made me do this. We are here to you talk knew I about. I was going to make you do this. <laughs> <laughs> We are here to talk about Bene Dupari. Woo! Exodus, a 90s villain. Benny P. Who truly. Um, <laughs> before I started this show, I could not have told you a blessed thing about this character. Besides, he is pink and from olden times and has Aww. big
0: epaulets. Yeah. How you feeling now?
1: When you called him Benny P, I was like, Benny and the Appalachs. Because that's sort of, <laughs> you know. He would hate that. <laughs> he would hate that. But it would be gay enough for him. Because this is, I, I will say, the-, the through line from Strife.
0: Yes, and Bobby.
1: Yes, but Strife was similarly like a gay villain of the night, Like a-, a villain of the 90s so gay that it is really all that you can think about when you look at the character besides like pointy. Wow.
0: Yeah. I feel like I have revealed a type. Sure. Yeah. I like a sad gay who covers himself in protective armor (laughs) and has a weird religious complex. Yeah. I don't know
1: if, um, I don't know if anybody could, Connect some dots.
0: Yeah. Speaking of which, shout out to your dad for saying I'm funny. That I love praise from a dad. He always. does Thank think you. you're Thank funny. You. <laughs> he also
1: says we have a great chemistry. Well,
0: undeniably. I so, mean, yes. you know.
1: Dad approved.
0: <laughs> great episode, that on episode.
1: Thank you. I was really happy with it. It was just nice to have that moment with my dad and also to like share my dad with all these people. Like there are all of these queer comics fans who are like, Oh my God, I hate my dad. Can your dad be my dad? (laughs) I was
0: like, (laughs) well, I may have cried a few times. I've never heard the, the I'm proud of you moment was a lot for me. Let me just say, it was a lot for me live on the air. I was not, this will inform the podcast today. Actually our discussion of Benet du Paris (laughs) issues. Yeah. Well, I'm
1: sure you're going to make my dad very proud in this episode, Anthony,
0: all i want that's all i want
1: <laughs> so if you're a new uh a newer fan and you haven't heard of this weird guy he is magenta sometimes, uh, sometimes more of like a which we'll probably have to talk about yeah sometimes sort of a burgundy color like he just can't uh-huh. really decide what color his skin's supposed to be but it's an unusual the real problem is that when he was introduced it was still classic coloring so he was the same magenta as all the native american characters Right. In fact, Warpath comments on it. He's like, I hate to hit you because you look like an Indian
0: or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But then, as coloring changed over the course of the 90s, and the Native American and other indigenous characters like Richter got
0: regular skin tones that were not from a Crayola box. Right. And were not designed for that awful paper from the 90s. Right. right. That's the other thing is like, those colors were hitting a cream colored more absorbent paper <laughs> yeah one <well>, and <laughs> and before now... that they were hitting
1: newsprint so that's yeah, the thing about yeah. reprinting and digital coloring and whatnot which is a side conversation we can get into sometime but yeah he has the bright magenta skin tone of a forge or a danny Moonstar or a warpath mm-hmm. or richter before richter was white mysteriously in the 90s for a while but right that's another digression the point is once they all started having like human skin colors that might be like a little more tan or a little more reddish yeah. or whatever.
0: Yeah.
1: He continued to be pink, so right. it clearly yeah. is like,
0: oh, that's just his deal. <laughs> and well, it's doubly weird because we'll get to this. But I mean,
1: I assumed it was like how Warren's blue. I thought it was an yes, apocalypse thing, but exactly. then in that's the weird <laughs> Black night <laughs> Flash story, been, he's yeah. always
0: been pink, and he's also from France. In The 12th century. From Paris,
1: hence the name. Yes,
0: yeah. Okay, well, what are we doing? Are we doing this chronologically or in print order? I think we
1: probably want to do it in print order because that seems, that's how I do the character file. And that's how I, so that's how I've been approaching the story when I was Uh going back to try and read, because here is truly, I could not, apart (laughs) from his name and an action figure I had from Toy Biz and some trading cards, I truly could not have told you anything about this character before. Which Hawk's is Pops. wild,
0: because he is fully one of the council members, right? Right. Like he is established to be incredibly important to the history of mutant kind and the Quirkouan nation in general.
1: Right, except that he's not. He like he he is <laughs> in universe. Like it, it totally makes sense that he's on the yeah. council, but then honestly, when I was like all right, we got to do this. We're going to do the Exodus episode. I was like, okay. <laughs> and by the way, the joke in an early episode was that I was like, when I do get to Exodus in like episode 57 or whatever, and I got to say,
0: <laughs> we're pretty close. This is episode 61. <laughs>
1: I was like, all right, we got to do the Exodus episode. I remember Fatal Attractions.
0: Yeah, an amazing all time story. I'm glad I'm making you read the 90s because (laughs) I had read that. Like, you know, you're not, I'm not reading that for the first time. But you would think that they never happened listening to your podcast. Uh, Well, okay, okay,
1: okay. I disagree, actually. I think I talk a lot about the early 90s and then I skip over the late 90s because I just can't be bothered with onslaught which right. you will also force me to
0: do at some yes, point definitely another pointy boy <laughs> i need to get the omnibus first they're reprinting that next yeah, year yeah
1: so red fatal attractions certainly though never read like siege of wundergore.
0: <laughs> yeah i've read it and i don't know if i've read it
1: <laughs> <laughs> this guy is so weird so he pops up basically there's a whole thing with fabian cortez which we've gone over on the show before where mm-hmm. the acolytes come to magneto but it turns out fabian cortez is just like a liar who doesn't care about anything and is part of <laughs> a little
0: shithead god bless
1: <laughs> yeah the upstarts game and just wants to kill everybody for points so mm-hmm. in the vacuum created by the loss of fabian cortez a new leader emerges for the Acolytes. Right. And his name is Exodus. And he wears,
0: how to describe? Like he wears like a Gothic cathedral on his back. Like he's got like yeah. these flying buttresses. He's
1: got these huge shoulder wings. He looks kind of like a Final Fantasy villain. Yes.
0: Yeah, this is, I mean, I remember with great clarity the exact moment I saw Exodus for the first time because it was in X-Men Unlimited number 2. Uh-huh. Which I read to pieces. Like I don't think there's a comic on earth I've read quite so many times because and I only know this now retroactively, but its function was to retcon Magneto's history such that he could be repositioned as a villain for the 90s cuz Claremont was out the door and Marvel wanted to have him back on the board as like a classic gnashing villain in his iconic look, raging battle against the X-Men, right? Like, Yeah, it was like,
1: let's bring back that, which of course is not the Magneto anybody likes,
0: really. But, right. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> but so to do that, they retconned his history because they were very aware that they were villainizing one of their most prominent crypto-Jewish characters, right? Like mm-hmm. Claremont actually didn't, Get, well, he eventually got all the way there, but he never actually said that he, the character was Jewish, it's right? Implied it's implied. It was meant to be understood. Yeah. Like at the um, memorial.
1: At the Holocaust Memorial, yeah, exactly. obviously, when he and Kitty are at the memorial, yes, it's like very clear. But also during Mutant Massacre, he says, The horrors of my youth only this time visited upon mutants rather than the Jews. So, right, like, you could right. interpret that as like, temporally speaking it was right. his youth yes. but i think yeah. what we're supposed to take away of course, is my yeah.
0: youth as a jew at that time you know and of course that was claremont's intent but marvel editorial was like well if he's gonna be this evil guy again we need to fix that and they did what was pretty common in the 90s which was demonize romani people romani instead people, right? yeah. yeah instead
1: The Eric Lanzer identity that's invented is presented as Romani the way that his wife, the mother of the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, we're not going to get into it, was... I mean, I guess we'll have to get into it because it's all the Siege of Wonder... Like, this is the
0: real problem with that retcon. How much there is to say about this? There's not a ton (laughs) to say about it, but but that's Quicksilver's solo book.
1: Like, almost everything that's ever been consequential about Quicksilver, in particular as a character is related to his status as Magneto's son.
0: Yeah, which is he- heavy duty for Exodus, right?
1: Because like, Exodus is furious that Quicksilver's daughter is not a mutant, because he sees that as an abomination against yeah. Magneto, who he worships as a god.
0: And that his two children have, uh, at this point, two children. We know we're in a quantum state where Magneto has as many yes. as four and as few as none. <laughs> yes, Magneto, is, point, two Magneto has up
1: to five children, <laughs> as few as two children. One of them's been dead since the 40s. The question yeah. <laughs> is, where are the others at? And do they exist? Right. Schrodinger's babies.
0: Yes. But at this point, Exodus is. Anyway, we haven't even gotten to We this haven't yet, even but, like, gotten to Exodus's this. contempt for these kids is that they're such poor heirs to his right. legacy. Right.
1: And like, they're such poor heirs that Quicksilver didn't even have a mutant daughter. He's like, this yeah. is Magneto's granddaughter. I'm going to kill her. So he spends a lot of time trying to murder a child. That's really Exodus's right. he, he big... Does, he does go after a lot of kids. He really <laughs> loves <laughs> a kid murder. Now, to be fair, he is a crusader from the 12th century. Yes.
0: And he is also a nineties gay written by straight people, so mm-hmm. <laughs> preying on children is kind of a thing. Yeah. It sure
1: is.
0: Anyway, X Men Unlimited Two is like nominally narrated by Gabriel Haller and it's like the retcon of Magneto's history and the Eric identity right that became because of the movies the identity a lot of people including you know him and call him by
1: well and and the comics now i mean they all call him eric still to this yeah day.
0: well because nobody I, it's very i don't know if anybody now alive knows what his real name is no because
1: he changed it in like 1944 or something yeah I think he
0: told Wanda very recently but that's about it right like that's the kind of the thing um and I would have to even check if uh Al did that on page or not but um he told Wanda about Anya I don't know if he told her about right because the whole idea for those of you who haven't read those issues is that Magneto when he became Magneto was like aware that there is a family history that by doing this he would be damaging so the idea was that he was effacing his real name from history so that no one would blame his family line and all these things, right? Like, that's why the Eric identity is invented and all that.
1: Yeah, and it's also so that he and Magda, his wife, who escaped from Auschwitz, will be—they need a new name anyway. So it's complicated.
0: Right, but it's like, anyway, all of that is a retcon of a retcon. Anyway. <laughs> it gets retconned again
1: in the future, so don't stress about yeah. it too much.
0: but— um. Anyway, X Men Unlimited is a great comic because it's it's. Anyway, it's a story of a man trying to kill Magneto because of what Magneto did in the past. Doesn't matter. But during it, there's these scenes of the um the then Brotherhood, the Brotherhood that you've talked about before when Sauron killed <laughs> Cannonball. They're on their way on a boat to a rendezvous in the middle of the ocean. I love this scene. G's. So good. One of my favorite scenes <laughs> because the lineup is towed blob um pyro pyro and fantasia and fantasia who i just checked and i don't think she quite does she quite have a i believe
1: she technically has a Zaladane, but it is tight it's tight It's a
0: tight, a tight, a tight zal. it's a tight zal <laughs> which is a shame because she rules
1: she's great we haven't seen her since m-day when she was one of the only characters who could remember the reality warp
0: right she has a problem conceptually because she has magnet powers. So it's like, mm. it's hard to justify bringing her back because everyone's going to be like, you already have Polaris. Like, she's more about harmonization, she's more about fuels than Polaris is. But she's cool. She's an astrophysicist. In the issue, she's fully in a bikini. In a bikini, in sunglasses, in sunglasses
1: <laughs> reading a book called Astrophysics. Yeah, which is thick as a doorstop. She's completely unrecognizable here too, though, because it turns out that as Fantasia, <laughs> she wears like a spooky white, like a clown wig, <laughs> yeah, like a shake and go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not just it's like it's very. Uh, it has like a big bird kind of texture to yeah. it, like yeah, it's, it's very feathery. Yeah, it's like very, true. it's like a feathery perm, but then you see. Yeah.
0: I hope it's stitched into the mask so she can at least get it off. Just and like on, whip it all really? off at once. Yeah. I was tweeting about how it's like Barbara Gordon, the Yvonne Craig, like Yes. Cookies. Yes. Where the wig yeah. is
1: part of it. Cause <laughs> she really is now just required. It looks like Val Cooper, honestly.
0: Yeah. So she has two problems, right? She's just like Generic blonde until she's in costume. She's just like
1: a hot blonde in a ponytail. Mm. The costume is great though. She has got like yes. she floats around. She looks like she has no limbs. She's just like a spooky yeah, ghost. She
0: has like a spooky. She actually looks like a banshee, right? Like, yeah. She has, like, a... yeah. Yeah. Also, she's great because she hates everyone on the brotherhood. She hates them because <laughs> she's so much smarter than them. Well, it's Toad's Brotherhood, which sucks. It's the
1: Liefeld Brotherhood. Yeah. It's the like the worst iteration of the Brotherhood. Except yeah, for her. And Toad she's, is a fully she's gross,
0: like, creeped to the Toad is disgusting in this era. Yeah. It's like
1: he murders Tanya. He's like, I mean, I, frankly, you just have to ignore this period of Toad's mm-hmm. publication history because it he doesn't track does, yeah. with
0: the rest of anything. But anyway, they're on a rendezvous in the middle of the ocean to meet somebody who has summoned them. And I remember as a kid being, like, fully taken aback by the appearance of this character, Exodus, who as you said, it looks like his outfit is crazy. But what matters to me, and I think looking back on it, what is striking about it is that it's beautiful. Like the point of it is to be beautiful, right? Like it is unusually, especially in the 90s, it is a man who is not dressing to look like this ultra mask figure, it is this person who is attempting something like I mean it is a draggy kind of look, but it's like a white cape, those beautiful epaulettes, those those gorgeous Chanel boots. Right? He is wearing the <laughs> Chanel boots. I
1: loved when you uh when you posted the pics for like to solicit oh. questions and someone someone replied those boots whorish. Love that yes. for him. Because they, they are, are so whorish. They go up yeah. to mid-thigh.
0: Yeah, they have like gold, like uh, like jewelry on them. Yeah, like like,
1: embellishments on the knees.
0: Yeah, he has a little bit of braiding in his hair,
1: anklet booties. Yeah, his hair is a little dead. One earring. Yeah, (laughs) and his hair is sort of like long and flowing in that very nineties way.
0: Yeah, and he says to them, like he strongly implies or says, Magneto is back. Right. This is right. The Fatal Attraction's arc plays a weird game where it's like. Magneto was nominally dead at the end of Claremont's tenure in like X-Men 3, and now it's two years later.
1: It seemed like Fabian Cortez had killed him, but now he's
0: back. uh, Asteroid M crashed into Earth, right? And he says like he he says something very amazing. He like delivers this very magisterial speech about how they're building a new world and some people are invited, and it turns out the (laughs) only one invited is Fantasia. Fantasia.
1: He's like, she can come. No, I am here for Aline only. Because he's French, by the way. We need to stress... French. He's medieval French. Yeah, I so. don't know what that
0: sounds like, so he's just gonna yeah. be French French to me. But you gotta <laughs> mix some Chaucer in there.
1: Juan <laughs> <laughs> with his short yes, the draught of March had pierced into the rota and bathed every vein. Oh, nice!
0: Oh, that was the opening. Very in nice. In switch liqueur. Yeah,
1: I know. I know it. Ah. I know my eighteen lines of Chaucer. Does that turn you on, Tony? That I, I like a, I like
0: a. I like a Chaucer. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm in love with this character, so and I love hearing that. So that makes me uh, <laughs> actually. <laughs> This goes back to what we we're talking about with like his racial ambiguity. Like earlier this week I was think I was watching Gawain and the Green Knight, and I was like, this is who you would cast. Like this is perfect. Mm. Like Dev Patel would be amazing as Exodus. Because it The thing that is unclear, and this we're we're jumping too far ahead, but the thing that is I think interesting about his skin as signifier of difference when we get to the Crusades period is yeah. That it always marks him as different, whether it is that he is magenta, right. or Whether it is like like an Othello thing, right? There's a way that that could be an interesting, like obviously the big, the main part of that subtext in that story is that he's gay, right? Yes, he's like, just, I've just been pink. different since I yeah, was a child. I've been, yeah. <laughs> I've always been different.
1: I'm pink, right? But it does have like a because he's a crusader,
0: yes, but he is also a dis- completely disillusioned former crusader in that story right like it is after something that they call the siege of jerusalem and he's now become along with his clearly boyfriend eobar
1: garrington who's the black knight of that time
0: yeah they've become like these disillusioned um bandits basically they're looking for what's called the tower of power in a place called akaba yeah the cool thing about exodus is like this series of disillusionments in his life right like he constantly seems to be looking for something to believe in.
1: Well, he wants to be the faithful, but he can't ever find God. I mean, what's interesting about him, the name, honestly, is that he's like always leaving.
0: He's always wandering. the world. Yeah, he's just like, yeah. well,
1: time to go because this didn't work out. <laughs> time to go. I need to leave. I must <laughs> leave now. I must leave now. Oh, Cherie, he says to Aobar. We must find the Tower of Power. He's really
0: cute in that story, isn't he? Like the Jim Chung art. And yeah. he's like really like, he's got like a rakish, like renegade kind of quality until Aobar breaks his heart. <laughs> and yes. And it's like, well, yes. fuck you. And then fuck Apocalypse. And then he gets put to sleep. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I feel like Apocalypse has a history of just preying on these men who maybe just needed a little push toward becoming gay supervillains and then they do yes. you know yeah
0: this is also why he hates nathaniel essex so right much, because they're right? the
1: same guy yeah essex was disillusioned with his science rather than his religion and then apocalypse turned him into a gay supervillain right right, <laughs> yeah
0: but the thing that is so detestable about exodus is he has no ideology about essex you mean Essex, yeah. He has no... Sinister. Sorry, that's confusing. I should just say Sinister. Yeah, let's say Sinister when we're in the Exodus (laughs) episode.
1: I, I call him Essex a lot also, but let's call him Sinister while we're talking about Exodus.
0: I want to go back when we get a chance to the Fatal Attraction stuff, but yeah, okay, so let's just, should we just talk about his origin since we've like introduced? Yeah, let's do it. Is. So this
1: is a retcon that happens a couple years after he's introduced. We get this Black Knight and Cersei story. That's Dane mm-hmm. Whitman and Gemma Chan, for those of you Kit who Harrington yeah. Kit yeah. Harrington himself. Kit Harrington himself and Gemma Chan as Cersei the Eternal, but back in the day, in the 90s when Dane was blonde and Cersei was white. So they're mm. just different people now, which is fine.
0: Although interesting in this story, she is, her darkness is remarked upon several times. It is, yeah, yeah, because
1: she's Greek. Right. I mean, she's not, she's a space alien, but. Right, right. Right,
0: Right. yes, yes, yes.
1: So anyway, it's a story about them because in the 90s, they were really trying to make those characters happen. Marvel, I think, saw the success of Gambit and Rogue and decided they would try to do it again on the Avengers. So Cersei literally just wears... I mean, there was an action figure at one point, I think, that was just a repainted The repaint rogue. of, the, yeah, the punchy rogue. Yeah, like uppercut because rogue. she wears... <laughs> the little bomber. Yeah, yeah, it's the same little bomber jacket over a leotard kind of thing. She just has cleavage that Rogue doesn't have because Rogue's trying to cover her skin, right. obviously. And then Dane is also wearing a bomber jacket over his, <laughs> like, you know, armor pieces in the way that Gambit's wearing a trench coat over his armor
0: pieces It's a lot like the Thunderstrike design on on Thor. Yeah. The
1: vibe is very much there. Cersei's the fiery one, and Dane is like a swashbuckler. And it's the whole attempt to make this thing happen that unfortunately, just no one cares about. Uh, <laughs> until eternals 2 next well, year Well we'll see. I mean, yeah, listen, maybe they can I mean, those are those are actors people care about. It's very possible that these someone could care about these characters.
0: I mean, it was fun to imagine while I was reading this issue like, yeah, I would I would fall in love with Kit Harrington and like throw away my soul and sell it to Apocalypse to get revenge when he started hooking up when with his other When he starts girl. hooking up <laughs> with Gemma Chan? Yeah, I'd be pissed. <laughs> That's a relatable experience. We've all kind of... We've all been there. That's what I like about Exodus. Yeah. He's a specific kind of like jilted, sad boy gay where Mm -hmm. it's like... Something terrible happened. He never got over it. (laughs) I've wandered Eurasia with this
1: guy who I'm in love with, and suddenly he's into girls.
0: When did that happen? Yeah, it's actually the other person he would have a lot to talk to about if they ever had a conversation is Richter. Because Richter went through a similar, like, I'm disillusioned. I got dumped by this boy. Let me talk to Apocalypse. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Anyway, so there are two crusaders in a later mike carey story we are given the title that he is Bene grand duke du paris that's kind of a crazy title if you know anything about french renaissance like you would never have a duke of paris because it's too dangerous he would immediately become the crown prince which actually the county of paris did eventually fold into the crown like county paris is a character in romeo and juliet right like that's like a title you can have but if he's a duke that means he's very close to the crown. Yes, to Paris. the line like of that's succession. Like, so yeah, that's... that's like, if you're ever writing fanfic of like medieval times or whatever, you should probably look at how high up a rank is. <laughs> the Duke is as high as you can get without being the king. Like sometimes like the Doge of like Venice, like that's like basically the king. Anyway, that's his title that we see him get knighted with, which is wild.
1: Yeah, I'm going to, I assume that's just kind of a, sure. That's an error, I think. But it's, to think yeah, about. sure. <laughs>
0: He goes to serve in something called the Siege of Jerusalem. And then a year later, they're just kind of they've clearly just stopped fighting and are wandering around looting, which a lot of crusaders did. Right. Like the text is actually pretty good about being like about criticizing the crusades. Yeah. No, it's
1: not (laughs) presenting the crusades as like, what a great thing.
0: Yeah. And it's clearly, again, like. As a character who is, I think, an icon of disillusionment, like that's that's one of his first ones, right? Is like, oh, this is not...
1: I went to fight a holy war and now I'm just a bandit, you know? Exactly.
0: But they're looking for this tower of power to answer the call <laughs> uh, that he feels in himself since he was a child, that he's been different ever since he was a kid. And he and aobar Garrington have been at it a while. And the real spanner in the works is that Cersei has just... In some kind of weird, this is not an Avengers podcast. This is not this is an cast. Avengers
1: podcast.
0: She's trying to make them true loves, which is, she keeps calling the Ganjo Sin. I'm sure that's the first time any human alive has said that out loud. Oh, the but- Ganjo
1: Sin is this whole, it's basically Imzadi from Star Trek The Next yes, Generation. Exactly. Which is, now I'm like, now I have to explain that. Um, the, They're soulmates, <laughs> basically. Like she's trying yeah, to she, establish but she's that Jane is her really soulmate. Creepy. Right. She's trying to yeah. build like a rapport. It's actually, again, Stolen from the X-Men because they're it's it's Scott and Jean's psychic rapport, yes. right? Is what yeah. she's trying to establish between
0: them. She actually uses the phrase psychic rapport. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because basically there's a love triangle going on in Avengers between them and Crystal. Because Crystal is trying <laughs> Crystal, to seduce God bless. Yeah, God bless <laughs> Crystal
0: Immaculan, who loves to fuck a married she man. Loves, she loves some drama. What was the job of that guy she was fucking in Scarlet Witch and Vision? Wasn't He's he... just like the guy next. Door. wasn't he <laughs> like a like, realtor he's like oh yeah he's like an accountant or a realtor and she's cheating on quicksilver with yeah him.
1: <laughs> so that's she is i believe still married to quicksilver at this point but i might have my timeline off but she is constantly trying to seduce black knight because he's the hottie on the team yeah. and then black knight and cersei are sort of in a will they won't they we love each other but no we mustn't or whatever superhero romance right. And Crystal is just always trying to throw it on Dane. And so Cersei's like, well, why don't I reinforce our love with magic
0: or whatever? The problem is he's now possessing the body of his gay ancestor. Yeah, they get whipped Aeobar back Garrington. in time and
1: Abar <laughs> Garrington, Exodus's boyfriend, who is Dane's ancestor, this is very Assassin's Creed, is like suddenly yes. inhabited by the spirit of Dane.
0: They, they owe them a check. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah so, <laughs> and as a consequence benet is like why are you suddenly into this girl this sorceress they call her yeah because she's a fucking witch she turns a guy into stone and stuff
1: (laughs) (laughs) and if you're benet and you're a crusader you're literally like a warrior of the church or were until recently you're just like that's a witch
0: (laughs) that's a witch yeah
1: (laughs) why is my boyfriend cavorting with a witch oh my god the witch has cast a spell on my boyfriend
0: obviously So he's heartbroken. He wanders into the desert by himself. He fights like a weird cockroach monster. Yeah, unclear. <laughs> Don't is worry about it. By Apocalypse. He beats it. His psionic powers finally manifest. He eradicates this cockroach. And then Apocalypse shows up looking. The design is great. It's like super Egyptian Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. This is like an arc that was happening a lot in the 90s that disappeared eventually. It comes off the end of. Executioner song that Apocalypse goes to sleep for a long time. He goes into torpor like
1: Vampire the, yeah. the Masquerade yeah, and is yeah, like, it's like in, yeah. yeah, you know.
0: <laughs> and he wakes up, and whenever he wakes up, like after a century or whatever. He knows, he has enough sense to realize he doesn't know what the fuck is going on, so he always, like, finds this person who will be, like, his emissary in this age, right? He gets a Renfield, basically. Like he goes Exactly, to, yeah. I'm sorry that exactly I just keep throwing
1: out, like, other references to explain, but... No, that's exactly right. I like to keep the listeners on their toes. I hope they now have, like, six Google tabs open, like, what the <laughs> fuck is he talking about? Apocalypse, like, makes immortal super beings yeah. so that he has someone to help him out because he needs to reacclimate to wherever he just woke up in. Exactly.
0: So, like, Warren was one, Warren Worthington. Yeah. Uh, Nathaniel Essex is his Victorian one. yeah. Right? Like, Mr. Sinister is created as a way for him to navigate, like, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't know the science of evolution. I just, like, right. theorized it myself. right? right? Like, <laughs> And in the Renaissance which is the language they use in this text at the dawn of the Renaissance.
1: Because it's the real beginning.
0: Yeah, it's a very early date for it. But I like an early date for the Renaissance. He picks Bene du Perry. He picks this person that to him represents oh i uh, the by the way
1: i didn't because i only introduced you as uh, someone i've fucked i forgot the <laughs> part where you are a phd in renaissance literature
0: i am that's why i was so turned on when you started busting out the uh, no i know
1: stuff. honey i know and that's <laughs> what i mean you think i just pull out canterbury tales for a giggle <laughs>
0: you've been studying
1: <laughs> i actually i have known that since college because it was drilled into our head we had to learn the eight, the first 18 lines But no, I should clarify, if this is your first ever episode of Cerebro, Tony is an academic, formerly.
0: Sure. He never goes away. The stain never washes off. (laughs) I have bright magenta skin. Yeah, you're like, oh, there it is.
1: He is a PhD in Renaissance literature. He has a podcast called The Doubles Party, where he talks about Paradise Lost by John Milton.
0: He programs queer films. I do. Yeah. Review cinema in Toronto. Join us for the cat sing-along. <laughs> There's a cat sing-along happening that Facebook won't yes. let him advertise because no, they because think that I he's think trying to sell, sell little cats.
1: cats. <laughs> and apparently they have like a thing about animal sales. Which good for them. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe hire like would, a person yeah. <laughs> to manage those flags. Also, recently, the writer of the Wiccan and Hawkling Last Annihilation one shot, which we did a bonus episode about. If anybody wants to hear us chat yeah,
0: about. There's some nice content on that. that paywall, everybody. Support Connor and this work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, darling. So,
1: anyway, that's, um, that's back to me. So, yes, we're early in the Renaissance.
0: Yeah, the 12th century is an early date. Like, a better date is indeed like Chaucer ish. Chaucer is like a good. Like, whether Chaucer's late medieval or early Renaissance is, like, an interesting question to mm-hmm. discuss with students, right? Like, and there's a lot of ways to theorize what the Renaissance was, but when I work on it, especially since I work so much on later Renaissance, the Baroque period, and Exodus is certainly a Baroque figure.
1: Look at those shoulder things.
0: Yeah, look at those shoulders. It's a right? Baroque cathedral. <laughs> <Like>, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the, the way to think about the Renaissance to me is that it, it's triggered by kind of a series of disillusionments. Um, one of the easiest ways to separate history is generally when people start to separate it themselves. And at the beginning of the Renaissance, people started to think about the fact that something was changing. Erasmus famously says, Immortal God, what a light I do see dawning, right? I wish that I could grow young again. So that he could experience what he was seeing happening in poetry, right. like um, Petrarch and stuff like that, right? But one way I think about what the Renaissance is, and especially thinking about Exodus, is it is about a series of disillusionments. It is about realizing the church is not the faultless entity it has claimed to be right like the shock of the protestant reformation sort of makes people realize that authority is not actually instilled in this one place as we thought it was um atomism is one of the ways the renaissance triggers its kind of disillusion right like there's these things called atoms that really troubles the idea of a resurrection in a Christian sense. Suddenly, Augustine's a little fucked up. Yeah, exactly. Copernicanism. And the other one is, of course, the quote unquote new worlds, right? Like the existence of places and specifically populations who have endured centuries without again, this is all very Christianized, which is what the Renaissance is, the idea of like salvation. They didn't know
1: the salvation. They've been out there for hundreds of years and we didn't know they were there. And right, Exactly,
0: yeah. yeah. And the Crusades is often pointed to as kind of the trigger point. The naked grab for power of it makes sort of is one of the contributing factors to something like the Protestant Reformation, right? And Apocalypse (laughs) sees this coming and he needs someone to be the guide for him as this new age starts. He calls him Exodus because he will lead him from one age to the other. That's in the text, that's explicit.
1: And it's worth noting for people who don't know this the word apocalypse is now used in common parlance to mean the end of the world, but that's not actually what it means. What apocalypse no. means is revelation
0: literally an unveiling.
1: Yeah, it's the unveiling apokaluptein. Mm. <laughs> mm. Now I'm pulling out the classics. (laughs) Actually, the word calypso.
0: Calypso, the veiled one, yeah. Yeah,
1: to go back to the Odyssey. So yes, it's pulling the veil back, and the apocalypse of John is the book of Revelation, which is about the end of the world. So it's become shorthand for that. But the reference, what apocalypse actually means, is not dissimilar, actually, to destiny. Yes. Or to Moira, as it happens. Mm -hmm. But it's more about an understanding of what will come to pass apocalypse is someone who heralds the future. He is here always to lead mutant kind to its next stage of evolution. Exodus meanwhile is the book about Moses getting the Jews out of Egypt and into the desert to find the promised land. So this biblical parallelism to these characters, this works. For me, my problem mm. with Exodus is always that just like he doesn't do anything. Sure,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, the story we're talking about is 40 pages. Like, it would be nice to expand this quite a bit. His internalized... He's not really... He's not the internalized figure in this text. the, The protagonists are... Aobar slash dane and cersei right Right. um and we keep panning over to see the corruption of exodus as he's like this broken-hearted gay boy is being tricked by this ancient evil into becoming his harbinger exactly (laughs) it's
1: very i mean people were like huh this apocalypse and richter plot i'm like yes exactly yes whatever you think (laughs) is going on yes but also you should go back and read a story about apocalypse and exodus from back in the 90s because it's not dissimilar. This is a thing he does.
0: And the seduction of it is, I mean, the promise of power is what he uses in this case, and what he used on Richter, right? Right. Like, and is using even after even he's disappeared. Without his presence. <laughs> the thing
1: that's interesting is that in both cases, it's more the power to be someone who would be loved, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, you used the word Renfield earlier, and it's very close to, to that. that. Like, it is the promise of like, oh, that thing you've been looking for all your life, I'm that thing. I'm that thing. Yeah. And I but can fill let me you, show you with you it. you you deserve to be. Yeah. Yeah. The consequence of this is that he's he's then pitted in a very apocalypse, when, and not a subtle man, uh, pitted immediately against aobar and Cersei. Right? Yes. Like he puts them into like a-
1: This is your test. You must
0: fight your best friend and this witch <laughs> yes we should note that the text keeps calling them best friends yeah <laughs> <laughs> they were roommates yeah they're roommates they're tent mates yeah <laughs> and then aobar slash dane because they're sharing a body in a weird horrible way that is again cersei just fully kills this gay guy to replace him with she colors. does he just dies <laughs> he just dies. we see his soul float away like this
1: <laughs> i like that I will say, like, whenever I tried to dip into 90s Avengers, it was purely because I thought Cersei was fun because she was so nasty. She was just like a mean, nasty character. And I loved that. And the idea, I mean, when you think about it, the idea of a love triangle, because it's not like there's with Cersei and Crystal. Mm. There's no good girl (laughs) in that they're both trying to yeah like it's not betty and veronica right it's, it's two, two veronicas. veronicas but like yeah. really bad veronicas because i'm a i'm a, I'm a veronica partisan obviously but yeah they, these are like
0: they're both kind of cheryl blossom i was actually. gonna say
1: they're it's more like two cheryls which is
0: yeah. dire situation for yeah. any man
1: to find himself in
0: uh, it is interesting like And now I'm thinking about it in terms of vampirism, because it is kind of. I mean, she's a sorceress. She's a witch, right? Like, that is what the text is telling us. She's
1: an immortal sorceress. Yeah.
0: Anyway, there's a face off in this, like, you know, Apocalypse loves a crucible moment. He loves like (laughs) fight. Fight. (laughs) Uh, He likes to sit on, like, a Shao Kahn throne and be like, round (laughs) one. Yeah. Oh, Shao Kahn. I love a, again there's another pointy boy a pointy hot S&M.
1: Have you played the new one? 11? No,
0: no, I'm waiting I
1: will have to show you what they've done with Shao Khan in that cuz
0: it oh. is I used to always put in the cheat code to play as him in number 3.
1: I just don't know who on the design team <laughs> is just feeding the gays i think maybe they yeah. just know that mortal Kombat has a lot of gay fans because it does yeah but all of the women are looking snatched and <laughs> shao khan looks so hot it's kano
0: also just looks now oh like... my god kano is like that is that is a filth pig yeah kano. <laughs> he just looks like a model that, from raging stallion now. yeah, yeah exactly <laughs>
1: He looks like a Tim Tails, and I'm not mad about it. I'm just sure. saying it's very, it's very yeah. funny.
0: God bless. God bless. Yeah.
1: Anyway, so
0: this Mortal Kombat, which we is just about. as gay, but not <laughs> as. Uh, oh, they're fighting. yes. yeah, and they're then fighting. Eobar and Dane, the Aobar Dane, they're like a fusion, a Gestalt. And he's like, who are you going to pick, the this guy or the person who has always loved you? And, like, he throws... By the way, he also inflicts with the ebony blade a bunch of slashes. The slashy Exodus things on face. Exodus's
1: head, which are still there in the present.
0: Yeah, which, those that's what those are. When you see Exodus with those marks on his head, which he no longer seems to have, but mostly because no one knew what the fuck they were Yeah, like, because it was people never thought they were eyebrows like some artist <laughs> 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 And once there was <laughs> once he was
1: they were referred to as like the marks of
0: apocalypse at one right. point Right, Blacksmith, Blackquistmith. Blackquistmith yeah. is like you're marked by calls apocalypse. The marks of apocalypse and that makes X-Man flip out.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's why X-Man has this whole like no, we'll get to X-Man in a couple weeks. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> Is that not a funny Christmas episode? I was torn on which one should be That's the Christmas perfect. episode, but
0: I thought X-Man really Happy Happy Advent, by the way. This is a perfect time for X. Yes, it is. Shag Urim Samak. Is that how you say happy Hanukkah? I think so. Uh
1: no? just Hanukkah Samayak or Chag Sameach. Oh,
0: okay. All right. Yeah. Ha- happy. happy Thank Hanukkah. you. It's over, but it's fine. What did you right. get me?
1: I okay. Oh. <laughs> I got
0: you. I read a lot of Exodus. So <laughs> I guess do this you did. Episode. I guess you did. I guess you did.
1: But so, yeah. So Eobar is like, but I love you. Do you love me? And Like, it becomes a whole
0: thing. And Cersei just sits quietly because she knows he's going to die. Right. Cersei's
1: <laughs> like, the gay one's going to die in just a second. I'm going to get my man back. So let's just let these Kenaidoi. Look that up if you're classics major. It means wide ass.
0: Whoa. Yeah. One more time?
1: Kanaidoi? Kanaidos. So Kanaidoi would be too. It's ancient Greek for faggot. <laughs> Flies directly in the face of all Foucault's bullshit. I'm just putting it out there. They had a mm. word for it. Anyway, so point is, Cersei's seen this song and dance before in ancient Athens. Yep. She's just sitting around like, all right, <laughs> come on, let's do this. Oh, the brothers in arms. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. You guys need to have a moment. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Oops. Didn't know that when I, <laughs> that killed, when you. I <laughs> killed you to give my... <laughs> boyfriend a new body in this time period he's Oops. hot
0: like good for her she yeah. makes a smart call like, sure if, does and jim i love a jim chung hottie right like yeah if you're going to you obliterate
1: hair. the soul of a gay man and put mm-hmm. your straight boyfriend in his body that's
0: a great pick yeah I do kind of miss that Exodus's flowing hair has disappeared. It looks like he's ironing it these days. Like, he used to have a bit more of a wave to Mm -hmm. it that's kind of gone, although LaRoz is giving it back a little. Yeah,
1: lately he's had kind of like a fresh blowout a little bit, which I don't mind. He's got the Aniston.
0: Uh,
1: (laughs) 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 I mean, I feel like on Krakoa you've probably got, like, some real solid hairdressers going on. Oh, yeah. There's probably a hair mutant mutant who makes it
0: grow, and then like, look what. By the way, look at this like pinhead like tennis ball that some heterosexual cut into my hair. Isn't this awful? I wasn't gonna say anything because I adore you, but it's uh, look what the heterosexuals have done to Michael. Michael, look, (laughs) it's
1: it's not. I mean, it could be it could be considerably worse, but it is not your best
0: hair ever. No, I'm mad about it. That's why I've been growing the beard. Uh, Anyway, sorry, digression (laughs) A a homosexual dies So uh, yes, a
1: homosexual (laughs) dies Exodus is sad, but Exodus also realizes I shan't serve this false god That would pit me against my boyfriend And turns on Apocalypse
0: Yeah, and Apocalypse puts him to sleep So Apocalypse is like, (laughs) alright Throws a blanket over his birdcage And he falls asleep (laughs) Yeah, he puts his little hawk mask on (laughs) Yeah Where'd you go? Oh, um, <laughs> where's the apocalypse? <laughs> and this is the thing that sometimes is not right in some, like, Exodus gives a lot of speeches about living for centuries, but near as the canon says, he's he lived for like 35 to years total. Year. Yeah. <laughs> And actually, in some early issues, his youth is the thing everyone keeps talking about.
1: It's a Ganymede thing. Like, he's like the yeah, beautiful exactly. boy. exactly.
0: Well, he's his cup. This is what he is. He is right? Magneto's like, cupbearer. It's like Magneto's a whole cup He's cupbearer. Yeah, he's Ganymede. He's, Which is
1: why Xavier is so mad he wipes Magneto's mind. And then Exodus proceeds to
0: like sponge bath Magneto on Avalon I for know. months. I right? know. And talk to him. Send, he keeps sending the other acolytes out of the room. And Scanner's like, the what's text happening? The subtext of Fatal Attractions
1: basically is that Charles is pissed that Magneto went to the Swiss Alps and dug up some ancient twink from a stasis chamber. Yeah.
0: Which, by the way, is a scene we have never seen. No. As far as I can
1: tell. Also, why did Apocalypse put him in Switzerland? It's a
0: very good question. And why did Aobar's ancestors proceed to guard his like, ex-boyfriend's body for 800 years? Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, well, you know, that's, that's love, baby. That's so.
0: the, yeah, that's medieval love. Exactly. That's like how it goes. <laughs> anyway, so he sleeps until the present when somehow, at some point, Magneto woke him up. Uh, before the events of Fatal Attraction, and, it's, and so, know, they just
1: tell you not to worry about it. It's truly just truly like we,
0: we'll get to this someday, and they never have. So, you know. except that everyone keeps screaming, like Fabian Cortez is like, "Don't trust that guy. You don't know the secret of what he really is." And it's everybody's like, like well, "Well, what is he? Homosexual? I think he's just a <laughs> faggot
1: in a cape." <laughs> it does seem like there's going to be a reveal. It has a similar vibe to all of the external stuff that was also yeah. happening in the '90s, where it's like these ancient mutants. Exactly. You know, I love Celine. I love Apocalypse. I think those characters are great. I actually, I think Kandra is fun, even. But I think the more of them you add, the less special it gets. So I didn't mind that this was not literally like i'm hundreds and hundreds of years old It was more like i'm a time travel guy right but it is inconsistent because it seems like sometimes writers were maybe not aware that well, he hadn't I mean, been you and i are maybe one of five people who, who have read that comic care at all <laughs> right so, but it is similar to how celine's backstory got complicated by the fact that people kept thinking it would be fun to throw her into historical events when the original story implied she'd been in nova roma like since the
0: death of Always, caesar yeah but to be honest, it always lets you... Like, I like the idea that he keeps getting put back like a little pop and fresh at the end of... Exactly. <laughs> he keeps getting put back in that. Because it's implied by the X-Man story that, like, he keeps having to go back. He's kind of like Apocalypse now where it's like... Right, he's he become like Apocalypse. He has to go yeah.
1: into torpor and recover and sleep and be served by minions, which is what exactly. Apocalypse is all about.
0: And the implication might therefore be that characters like Sinister might also have dormancy periods. Like... Although it's hard to tell, Sinister keeps fucking with himself. Is the other thing <laughs> right? He
1: keeps accelerating his own stuff, but also think about how he dies at the end of Inferno and then comes back without much explanation.
0: Right, and then is like, "Yeah, fuck you." Yeah, and he's got. Who like, cares? I love that scene. And you, of- you
1: could now explain that as clones because he has mm-hmm. he does that, but you also could just assume that Sinister Prime got skeletonized at the end of Inferno and then just like. Had Arc Light or somebody put him on a slab, and he slept for exactly. a couple months yeah. and got a better. Lazarus
0: Chamber, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. He does seem to also he he does after the fall of Avalon go into the the Swiss Alp tomb again. So it's a thing he can do. I'm going home. I'm gonna take a nap. <laughs> He's just gooning out at the bathhouse for a bit. Yeah, it's exactly. It's just
1: so weird that it's the Swiss Alps. That feels so random. I
0: guess it's to place him somewhere in Europe, right? Like right. It's a, way to, it's a way to Frankenstein monster him, right? Like he's up there to be found. You can like walk up a thing. Yeah, I
1: guess. It's just so it's so removed from the Crusader backstory that you're yeah. just kind of like, huh? Like what was the point it's, of having him go yeah. all the way to Acaba if he's not in the temple at Acaba?
0: Yeah, it's a good quest. But, you know, whatever. Come to think of it, I guess it's a spoiler, but it does have a kind of a Midnight Massy thing. Yeah, happening. yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah. A vampire who sleeps in a tomb until somebody wakes him up. Anyway, that all takes us to the beginning of Fatal Attractions where he tries to recruit Eileen Harsaw, a.k.a. Fantasia.
1: He's around for a couple of years before we get this gay backstory, but we wanted to give it to you because it's fun.
0: It Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then he functions as Magneto's Harbinger. He is like the voice of God, right? Like he kind of has a Metatron. He has a Herald of
1: Galactus kind of vibe. Like he shows up to be like, Magneto's doing this thing.
0: Yeah. And he underlines like what a piece of shit Fabian Cortez was. Right. Right. It like, this is fine. It's kind of Magneto's first like worthy servant, you know? Yeah. And first honest servant. That's the thing I really admire about this character is he's like... He truly believes himself to be. I mean, he's written as like a crazy lunatic sometimes, but when he's written well, he is a person of integrity. He says at one point to Xavier, The only two things I fear is losing my honor and dying with my work unfinished, which I think is like, that's why I like him on the council. That's why I love that scene in Inferno 2. We're really teleporting ahead here, but like. Well, that's fine.
1: He also teleports around a lot, so that's true, I think yes. it's form and content. <laughs>
0: Which is important because he's the ferryman, right? Like, he takes people up to Avalon. But he says when she's trying to elect destiny onto the council, he's like, I can't be bribed. I can't be bought. Right. I serve the pleasure of my people. So you have to convince me that destiny on this council is the most important thing. Well, he doesn't know it's destiny because that's how right. That's how Mystique convinces You her. have to
1: convince me that what you want is the most important thing for our species. And Raven's like, guess what, bitch? It's destiny. It's destiny. And he's like, yep, you he's got like you're in. <laughs> Cause there's nothing a Christian mystic of the thirteenth century loves like a fucking oracle. More
0: than a prophet. Yeah. He's chasing the destiny diaries for like ten years of publication history because he's lost. He has Exodus, right? Yeah. He's lost in the desert. He's like, he's looking he for tablets. He wants stuff. He wants to
1: know what the fuck is going on. He's trying no. to have his Moses moment. Um, He never gets to. And I do think that's kind of his tragedy is that like he always wants there to be a moment where he comes down out of the mountain and is like, I have communed with the truth, everything. And we all have
0: something real. It never,
1: ever happens.
0: Christianity let him down. Eobar let him down, Apocalypse Apocalypse let him him down, down. Magneto lets him down, down.
1: Xavier really lets him down,
0: Xavier, Holocaust in between really lets him down, Holocaust really (laughs) lets him down
1: and then Xavier, you know, I mean, I do think that if something is called Holocaust, you're sort of asking for it, to be
0: fair, he didn't know, that's
1: true, but like he, it was like a creepy radioactive skull man, it was like, why do you want to wake this up? there's yeah, really a, no a creepy
0: yes we're jumping yeah we're jumping so fatal ahead attractions but happens, let's, which let's, fatal like...
1: attractions happens let's <laughs> let's try
0: to contextualize for them what that story is the a little thing to remember about 90s stories is they're more about a vibe than. A... <laughs> 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 and the vibe of fatal attractions is really good i think Fatal Attraction, so it's been two years since Magneto's last appearance. Chris Claremont has basically written what could be read as the last Magneto story, as a tragedy. Which was the
1: relaunch one to three of the adjectivalist title, 91.
0: Claremont is gone, and now Nisieza and Lobdell are bringing Magneto back, basically two years later, X-Men 25, as a villain. But the kind of villain he is is very interesting now. He is... In fact, it is not really actually legible as much different than Krakoa. He's like, I'm building a place in space called Avalon. Mutants will be safe there. Leave us the fuck alone. That's literally literally all he wants. It
1: really shows how politics, minority politics have evolved over the last 30 years that here that is
0: monstrous.
1: Yeah, almost unquestioned as a bad thing, right?
0: Yeah. It's like you built a gay bar, but I want to go to your gay bar. Right? How <laughs> like, dare you not How want to live you? in harmony with these people <laughs> who fucking doing hate you? In there?
1: <laughs> exactly. I don't yeah. trust that space station.
0: Yeah, and it's like a the other thing that has happened is in the two years Magneto has been absent, slash recovering, slash not around, um, the Executioner song has happened. Go listen to this. Go Stry listen episode. to our Strife episode. And the legacy virus is now raging across the planet, which, as we've talked about, is a very inelegant but sometimes useful metaphor for the AIDS crisis. One of the things, actually, that I think is interesting about Exodus and his weird religious trappings thing is you can think of him as, like, having taken the vow, right? Like, he's Mm -hmm. a gay man who is absenting himself. Right, he's, like,
1: chaste because I am exactly religious now. Yeah, he has, like, an ex-gay vibe. But, like, not not in the way of, like, I'm going to marry a woman, but in the way of, like, I've entered the priesthood so that I won't be tempted by my sinning urges. Yeah,
0: exactly. He has a kind of... And the whole Avalon story is about this. It's like, the, we will wait this out. We will wait. At, we will have our own space. It Avalon is actually, it's basically an asteroid M, but it's also Gray Malkin's Cable's weird spaceship.
1: We talked about this in the Cable episode.
0: Yeah. And Xavier keeps complaining that it's all stolen Shi'ar technology from when he was at the mansion. Like, fuck you. You fuck went off, you. To, fuck fuck you. You went off <laughs> to fuck your bird lady. Fuck
1: you. You went off to fuck your bird lady. Not just any bird lady, the queen of the bird ladies. Yeah, And
0: then and you left you me in, left charge. Me in I, charge. A bunch of kids died, and I used some of the technology. Yeah, get like, over it. You. Yeah,
1: That's my stuff. 50% Charles, common law. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the
1: thing, though, to go back to the AIDS crisis, legacy, Exodus's gay angst thing here for a second... I think it's very notable that when he touches down with the Brotherhood
0: Oh yes. We didn't talk to try and get
1: Fantasia to come with him.
0: I would have brought you Pyro. He says like Toad and the Blob are Toad fucking sucks. They suck. We're not interested. (laughs)
1: Which that must. Blob hurt. is also
0: being a misogynist pig throughout this scene. Yeah, this
1: is a bad era for Blob.
0: And Pyro, who is in his full like again Hawaiian shirt Paul Lind mode. Pyro used to be gay. I'm a Pyro used to be gay truther. Pyro still is gay, <laughs> in my opinion. But he says quite rightly, "What about me? What about me? What about me? I obviously am. I'm great. Like I'm smart.
1: I'm a novelist. Like you know." <laughs>
0: And Exodus says the most horrible thing, which is you would have been invited had you not become tainted.
1: You have been tainted, so you cannot come to Avalon.
0: And Pyro's like, What the fuck? What the fuck does does that that mean?" mean? tainted and then they all go back to jimmy buffett's (laughs) but it is pyro who is the one who gets the legacy
1: virus and who dies of it ultimately and what i've said about the legacy virus plot is yes it is inelegant i am much more sympathetic to it now as an adult understanding Mm. how difficult it was to get actual content about the aids crisis into these comic books if you look at the characters who get infected Right, that's a lot of the time where the metaphor starts to work best. Yeah, no, it's I'm like,
0: not here to cape further. <laughs> no, 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 but I'm.
1: But when you think about it, like that is that is where they at least make an effort to make it mirror some real world stuff. Like Infectia mm. is sexually promiscuous. Right. Pyro is gay. Like it targets specific people who are seen as sort of dirty already by right. society.
0: Similarly, the only way the only way people start to care is when it starts being like, "Oh my god, Moira mctaggart Is what in fact Moira mctaggart right, Rasputin, or a kid, right? Right? a child. yeah like, that's the whole thing behind Fatal Attractions. Fatal Attractions opens with Magneto crashing Iliana's funeral at the X-Mansion. Yes. Uh and being like it's time to go, right? Enough of Charles's bullshit, guys. This has failed. This has failed. This is the death of Xavier's dream. Your assimilationist bullshit and showing them we can all be good little citizens has failed. They don't care about us. And he literally drops Avalon as close as possible onto Xavier's mansion. Yeah, Like he brings it out of orbit and says, time to go, kids. Like anyone who wants to come can come. And amazingly, Colossus says, I'm coming. I'm coming. Right. Because Colossus has had enough and he has a great scene where he just yells at Xavier and is like, you promised me, I remember the words distinctly, that I would help humanity and that that by doing that, that we would save this world. And now my sister is dead. I wasn't even fucking here because you had me in France fighting the Acolytes and I missed her dying. I am over this. And he walks out on Xavier. And I really hate that this later gets retconned that he has a head injury.
1: Well, they kind of unretcon it too. They're like, he had a head injury. (laughs) They say he has a head injury. And then Kitty's like, oh, so we can save him. And then they all go to try and fix the head injury and convince him to be good again. And he's like, no, I actually believe this. I did have a head injury, (laughs) but
0: that's not. I know that like, there's a lot... I mean, Claremont didn't really care about Colossus. He said no, so. No, he said so. 90s Colossus as a disillusioned, one of the few people to walk out the other way, right? Like, There's a lot of villains, so-called villains, who join Xavier's side. I like Colossus as having given it a good college try and being like, actually, this is bullshit. I'm leaving. I think
1: Colossus's arc from mutant massacre through fatal attractions is brilliant. And I mm-hmm. think that probably the character never really needed to be used again.
0: Yeah. Well, he ends... And then you could have... And then they kill him off with the legacy
1: thing, which is great. And then literally just the character's done. There is no story that they've ever done after that that is justified bringing that character back, honestly. There's
0: a great story later, towards just before the Krakoa era, where Mike Carey has Exodus showing Xavier all his sins. Yes, in Legacy. And there's that moment where you get the page... I actually started crying when I saw it because it's a page. I'm going to start crying describing it of Ilyana dying, and then it's matched against Colossus saying, "Snowflake, I'm coming home." Mm-hmm. Oh no, I'm crying. Oh no, <laughs> as he injects himself with to the cure the, the virus the cure. worldwide,
1: yeah. but will kill him.
0: That story is really good. <laughs> it's a really good. The 90s, like this story where he becomes a faithful disciple of Magneto, just as Magneto is, spoilers, destroyed by Charles Xavier in an ugly, disgusting, jealous fit. And then he's stuck with Exodus, who is also like, I don't know what the fuck to do. (laughs) Exodus is just
1: going to talk to brain-dead Magneto
0: in a tub and just like wash his hair and be like, what do you think, sir? Monsieur Magneto. Yeah. He grows him a beard, which I think is quite charming.
1: (laughs) I shall trim your beard. What if we did a
0: beard, Eric? (laughs) Le barbe. Yeah, so uh, Colossus leaves with Magneto, and the next issue is X-Men 25, where the world's governments are like, this is not good, and they activate a force field around the Earth that is designed to disrupt the electromagnetic spectrum sufficiently that Magneto's powers will no longer work. They're ghettoizing Avalon from the rest of the Earth, right? Like, you will not be able to access us. And Magneto just puts his foot on it and disrupts everything. And this does result, I should be fair and say, several thousand deaths, right? Because, like, airplanes fall out of the sky, hospital equipment stops functioning. (laughs) It's like a worldwide EM pulse. And to be fair, yes, people die. But you shouldn't have put that wall up. Um, These are the Magneto protocols. And then Xavier takes a strike team to Avalon and proceeds to then, after Magneto has extracted Wolverine's adamantium, mind wipe him. And this is the birth of Onslaught, right? Yes,
1: this is the moment where Xavier goes, like, ah, and wipes Magneto's mind. That leads to the issue that we've talked about where, like, ghost
0: Eric haunts Xavier in his yes. head about all the stuff with Amelia Vote. And to be fair to the text, like, Gene keeps screaming throughout, this is against everything you always taught us to do. Like, this is monster. Over and over again, like, Rusty and Skids, who Magneto has just de-brainwashed from... From the MLF, Strife, yeah. And have now joined another series of uh, former students. Of New A's cult. joined Magneto, yeah. Skids and Rusty are always looking for a cult, and it just never quite works it out never for them, unfortunately. never quite works out. Rusty's going to meet a rough end in a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then Skids ends up
1: joining um, the... Uh, She has a good career, shield and all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean before that it's pretty rough. It's It's a pretty it's a pretty rough. She goes back to college. I love that for her. (laughs) Poor poor Miss Bevan. She ends up enslaved by Pandemonia the succubus in the road trip X-Force run. Yeah. I actually love that run, but that's a funny, weird story.
0: But they're like, they're trying to debate. Gene is trying to be a good liberalist student of Xavierism and is like, no, like, you should join us and you don't have to do this. And Xavier's like, fuck this, we don't have time. And just deactivates their brains. They fall down. And then they march on Magneto. And even worse, before he lobotomizes him, he makes him relive the traumas of his childhood. And there's a panel I think about a lot where Magneto says, how far you've fallen, Charles, to have fallen this far. And then. He shuts off his brain, right? That's the comatose period for Magneto. That's Fatal Attractions, and it leaves the Acolytes in Exodus orbiting the planet alone, not really sure what to do for a long time. He really doesn't know what to do because the next... The next thing they do is the Trial of Neophyte.
1: Yeah, I have the CMRO reading order up and I'm just like I was just like hitting down to look at like which issue
0: is next. Oh, Blood Ties is after. That. <laughs> oh <laughs> boy, Blood Ties. <laughs> so
1: first, yeah, they have the Trial of Neophyte who betrayed the acolytes the X-Men.
0: Yes. He's basically he has Kitty Pride powers. Moira was being tortured by Fabian Cortez at Mont (laughs) (laughs) Saint-Michel. And he overheard Fabian Cortez talking to Games Master about how he actually secretly did kill Magneto.
1: For upstarts points.
0: Yeah, and Neophyte betrays them to the X-Men and helps them save Moira and everything. And this leads to... Hilariously, this leads to Exodus fully outing Fabian Cortez in front of the other acolytes and they try to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Fabian Cortez is actually also diagnosed with legacy by Exodus in that moment. It just never comes to anything. Gets followed up on, yeah. Mm-hmm. But there is a moment where Exodus holds a trial for Neophyte as like an attempt to gain control over the... The acolytes, and then realizes that he cannot. And this is a moment of like Colossus being like, "Oh shit! Like, what am I stuck with now?" He's <laughs> <laughs> like his defense attorney versus Amelia Vote dressed as a nun. <laughs> <laughs> he realizes he can't kill this like kid in front right. of the uh, the acolytes, and he sends him home. Blood ties super messy. Like Fabian steals Luna. Crystal starts freaking out. It's really
1: a Quicksilver and Crystal story, and I don't. Yeah. Um uh care
0: yeah, I cannot recommend it it's to It's not women.
1: good. It's Genosius having a civil war. Exodus shows up. He starts manipulating the mutates who have risen up. The mutates in this case, not to be confused with mutates as it's used in every other context in the Marvel right. Universe to mean a non-mutant person with superpowers, is in this case referring to mutants who have been through the Genosian mutate bonding process, which turns them
0: into slaves that have like mind control brainwashed problems. Right, and they're like, and like, chrome over their genitals. It's bad news. It's not great stuff. But they have
1: been liberated after the events of Extinction Agenda back at the beginning of the 90s. So there's a civil war raging in Genosha and Fabian Cortez is is out there and he's trying to get everybody agitated to make things worse and get more power. Uh, and he's kidnapped Luna to use her as a symbol. He's like, this is Magneto's heir, his granddaughter, but she's like a toddler
0: so it's a weird right she was a toddler for like 30 years well it's that's this is why <laughs> you don't, don't want to give superheroes <laughs> babies she's actually one of the rare cases where she got older and then got young again and yeah like, it that'll happen explained it was just like everyone remembers her as being this perpetual baby like yep. kids have aged way past her oh this yeah <laughs> but she now is
1: like vaguely 12 13 ish
0: i want to yeah, say yeah she has she some powers up. now yeah yeah but here she's just like a hot potato. Here she like, literally, they're just, they're Fabian just tossed her about. And then Exodus has her. You know, she just bounced through the sewers. Yeah. There's a the great panel <laughs> where Exodus is
1: lifting her up and he screams Behold this child! The hell is stirred on the house of Magnus! He's very flesh. His granddaughter, a human, a Trabak. And for that, this abomination is the first of her family to die. He's going to kill her. uh, And everybody's screaming. What I love about this is that in this panel, Luna has Crystal's weird little hairbands on.
0: Right. So this is
1: one of the many things that have been entered into evidence when people are arguing over whether that Kirby design is like a black streak in Crystal's hair or whether it's like like a a headdress thing she's wearing. And most of the time it looks like her hair just has a weird pattern to it but here it looks like it's an accessory and she's also
0: snapped one on luna so yeah i think of it as a hat piece i do i kind of do too it doesn't make sense it's like a weird earmuff (laughs) situation (laughs) yeah it must clip to the ears and then band out in front yeah yeah the main thing about blood ties is it establishes pretty clearly exodus's hatred of Quicksilver and particularly Wanda, which will carry for years. Yes. Like, if you think the pretender thing is out of nowhere, that's he no. hates Wanda. He fucking hates her. And it makes sense as soon as you... Th- think about it right if like, you're like
1: i want to be magneto's son and his actual children are fucking flops that's basically
0: yeah. his whole life <laughs> exactly yeah like how dare you he's like
1: i'm an omega level telekinetic yeah. and i'm immortal and i have this cool pink why doesn't, daddy, he love why yeah, doesn't exactly. daddy love me why <laughs> doesn't daddy love me because like, it doesn't feel super I think in part because it does see like Exodus is very much like I'm celibate. It doesn't have quite the sexual charge that you might expect no, from like I a cupbearer yeah. kind no. of relationship. I actually
0: don't read that as being how he thinks he does I think he does see Magneto as like a father. Like a messiah. Too. Yeah, that's but the... like as an
1: object of worship, but not in that this is that's how you know this is like a post Claremont X Men because Inven- there's yeah. no sexual motivation whatsoever, <laughs> right? Yeah. What you need to take out of Blood Ties, besides that, like his disdain for the Maximoffs, is, well, first of all, he's got too many fucking powers. There's a great bit where Rogue tries to absorb his powers, (laughs) but he has too many
0: powers. Yeah. So she can only take away like one or two of them. And I'm a little annoyed by a very recent tendency, which has been to add some. Like, I saw there's this kind of like, you've called it wiki creep thing. Yeah. There's a line in his Wikipedia where it says he has confidence based powers. That's not true. That's someone misreading his faith stuff as being literal. That he's literally more powerful the more faith he has. He's not gladiator. No, he's just religious. Yeah, he's just, he just <laughs> loves, yeah. He's like post, well, he's post religious. He's like, yeah, well, yeah, no, he's just, he has true faith. Yeah. I actually, I respond to this character because I also feel like. Well, what happens when your faith collapses, but the architecture of your brain is still entire? When you're like, like, I need a God, but I don't believe in God. What do I do? (laughs) And like your entire vocabulary is, and you're like, everything about the way you structure thought is informed by this. I have seen like recent like discourse happening about these like Last Supper covers and like the Pietà cover of like Magneto like as a Jewish character being oh, contextualized into this Christian I was stuff.
1: wondering if people were going to do that with the Last Supper one. Look, nobody's a monolith. People can feel however they want to feel about it. I think those are some of the most famous images in Western art. I think particularly that the Pieta at this point... Is also just comics language because you see it with not quite so literally, but you see the George Perez Crisis on Infinite Earths or the cover with Dark Phoenix. Like it's that thing of like someone's dead and I'm holding them is comics language at this point.
0: I mean, I don't get to have an opinion because I'm not Jewish, but right. I do think that like it's funny to think of Michelangelo and Da Vinci, these two homosexuals, as like they're not really Christian artists. is what's interesting to me. About well right. It. Like, what's funny about it to me is like, that is what Exodus does to Magneto. He takes this person and like puts and Christianizes in this him,. Yeah, that doesn't really make sense and doesn't really fit. Like the incongruity is generative for Exodus's story. He kind of is stuck in space, like rotorless, and then the Age of Apocalypse hits.
1: Yeah, I feel like now might be a good time to do the Cerebro character file. Sure. So that we can just zip through everything. There's not, honestly, a ton to this character. It's, again, more of a vibe. So why don't (laughs) I take you through his publication history from Fatal Attractions up through the present in Inferno on Krakoa. Then we will come back for more with Dr. Anthony Oliveira
0: hey hey doctor.
1: i know well you know i call you doctor when i want you to you know, <laughs> respond anyway um we'll be right back x-men x-men benet de paris known almost exclusively by the mutant name exodus is an enduring x-men villain with surprisingly few x-men stories Created by Scott Lobdell and Joe Quesada, Exodus debuts as Magneto's striking new second-in-command in in the 1993 franchise-wide event, Fatal Attractions, which features Magneto's return to publication after his apparent death at the end of Chris Claremont's 16-year run. Exodus's strong visual design and dramatic personality made the character a breakout hit, especially after the Avengers crossover, Blood Ties, immediately followed Fatal Attractions, and he's popped up here and there throughout the history of the X-Men, typically as leader of the Acolytes. In the last few years, he has taken on new prominence as part of the Quiet Council of Krakoa. Exodus debuts in 1993's X-Factor 92, the first chapter of Fatal Attractions. In this first appearance, he just floats around looking cool, seems to think about talking to X-Factor, and then zooms away. It's pretty funny. In the second chapter of the event, over in X-Force, we learn that he's Magneto's mysterious new envoy, sent to shepherd mutants to the space station Avalon to create a mutant paradise away from humans on Earth. Magneto longs to prove that Charles Xavier's dream is dead, so he targets Xavier's former New Mutants class, also once his own students, first. Exodus approaches X-Force, but invites only Cannonball and Sunspot to Amalon, battling the team with his powerful telekinesis and telepathy until Sam agrees to come, provided the other New Mutants on the team be allowed to join him, even if they weren't Xavier or Magneto's students. This includes Richter, Boom Boom, Rusty Collins, and Skids, the latter two of whom have been brainwashed by strife of the Mutant Liberation Front. On Avalon, Magneto is able to use his powers to break the physical brainwashing and restore Rusty and Skids to normal, but when X-Force attacks Exodus to escape, Rusty and Skids decide to remain on Avalon, where they believe they'll be safer. It's immediately clear from his demeanor and manner of speech that Exodus is not from around these parts, but it'll take years for us to get any kind of backstory explicated for him. He worships Magneto as a god and has a religious fervor about the new country of Avalon. He also has spooky text bubbles, usually with a pink outline, so that's fun. In Chapter 3 of the event, Uncanny X-Men 304, Exodus locates the Acolytes who had followed Fabian Cortez after the apparent death of Magneto, and informs them it was Cortez who betrayed Magneto in the first place. The Acolytes attempt to kill Cortez, but Exodus spares him, as Magneto wishes for him to live and suffer. The Acolytes go with Exodus to see Magneto, overjoyed to learn that he's alive, and meet up with him just as he's crashing a funeral at the Xavier School for Ilyana Rasputina, who has recently died of the legacy virus. After a battle with the assembled heroes, the Acolytes depart when Colossus decides to join them. In X-Men Unlimited number two, Exodus approaches Toad's new brotherhood of evil mutants as part of his recruitment drive for Avalon. He declares that only Fantasia, a new member who had never served Magneto, has been deemed worthy. When Pyro wonders what's wrong with him, Exodus explains he would have been eligible, except that he is tainted. The reader will later discover Pyro has contracted the legacy virus. Fantasia declines to go with Exodus, who departs. In X-Men 25, as the event continues, Magneto creates a worldwide electromagnetic pulse that kills thousands and disables all electronics. The X-Men move to attack Magneto on Avalon, but first they manage to vent the Acolytes, including Exodus, out in airlock. Xavier ends up using his telepathy to completely erase Magneto's mind, leaving him brain-dead. In the event's final chapter, Excalibur 71, Exodus assumes command of Avalon and grants Colossus an opportunity to meet with Kitty Pride, who claims she wants to join the Acolytes. When it turns out to be a trick, Piotr rejects the X-Men and stays with his new comrades. X-Men and Uncanny X-Men then pivot directly into another event, Blood Ties, which is a crossover with the Avengers and Avengers West Coast. I'm going to give you the highlights. Fabian Cortez kidnaps Luna Maximoff, Magneto's granddaughter, daughter of Quicksilver and the inhuman princess Crystal, currently a member of the Avengers, and takes her to the former apartheid state Genosha, where the so-called mutates are still an oppressed class. He uses Luna as a symbol to foment civil war, which leads the X-Men and Avengers to head that-away to rescue her. Up on Avalon, Exodus seems to believe the comatose Magneto is still speaking to him and giving commands. He observes Cortez's activities and then descends to Genosha himself declaring his intent to liberate the mutates and also murder all the humans of Genosha. He begins killing, basically, straight away, but is distracted by a battle with the Avengers in which he is super racist to War Machine. Like, um, he says to War Machine that some people were simply born inferior, like how some races were born to be enslaved, because War Machine is black, if you didn't know that, because this is not an Avengers podcast. So yeah, that happens. Thanks, Roy Thomas. I, uh... I don't know, man. It's not an X-Men book. Up to you if you want to incorporate that in your personal canon. After beating War Machine, Exodus takes on Cersei the Eternal, whose vast power actually gives him some trouble. He still manages to defeat her, and interestingly, implies there's history between them. Exodus tracks down Cortez and apparently kills him in front of the X-Men and the Avengers. Seizing Luna, he declares that Quicksilver is a disgrace to the family. Only Exodus is worthy of the title of Magneto's heir. Luna particularly disgusts him, as she was born human so he moves to kill her to purify Magneto's line. Xavier is able to halt him telepathically, and the Black Knight is able to wound Exodus with his mystical weapon, the Ebony Blade. In this story, narration states that Exodus has spent his life sequestered, preparing to be a mutant messiah. The Black Knight recognizes him, but isn't certain of how. Shaken by actually taking a hit, Exodus decides to book it. The following year, in Uncanny X-Men 315, we see that Exodus continues to claim he acts as Magneto's voice, but the other acolytes have become skeptical. He presides over the trial of Neophyte, an acolyte who had aided the X-Men during fatal attractions, and ultimately spares the young mutant when Colossus makes a personal appeal. He claims this is Magneto's will, and Exodus himself would not have chosen mercy. He exiles Neophyte from Avalon instead, nervous about remaining a popular leader. There's an Avengers story around here where Exodus goes to Mount Wundegore and murders Bova the Cow Lady purely to piss off Quicksilver, just letting you know. During Age of Apocalypse, we see a very different Exodus as a member of the X-Men, romantically involved with Dazzler and identified by a civilian name for the first time, here Paris Bennett. After the Age of Apocalypse, Reality Warp ends, an unidentified object begins hovering around Avalon. Exodus brings it in, discovering the AOA villain Holocaust frozen inside. Exodus thinks this stranger is a miracle of some kind and works to defrost Holocaust despite the objections of other Acolytes. When he wakes up, Holocaust immediately drains the life force from the Acolytes on guard duty, including Rusty Collins, disintegrating them. He starts tromping around Avalon, devouring more Acolytes, and explains that he is Holocaust, son of Apocalypse, and he knows Exodus and Magneto to be members of the X-Men. This really pisses Exodus off, so he and Holocaust end up having a huge fight that blows up the space station and sends everybody falling to Earth. Some of the acolytes manage to survive with the help of Cyclops and Jean Grey, who are summoned for help by Amelia Vote. Exodus is apparently killed when he and Holocaust crash into the sea. The following year, in a Cable and X-Man crossover written by Jeff Loeb and Jonas Strander, we get a flashback to the 12th century, where we learn that Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, traveling in time, sealed Exodus, who had been touched by the Evil One, into a tomb in the Swiss Alps. Magneto had somehow awoken Exodus shortly before Fatal Attractions, and now, near death after his battle with Holocaust, he has retreated to this tomb to heal, drawing on the power of Apocalypse that remains within it. He senses the approach of Cable and Nate Gray, extremely powerful telepaths, and attacks them to drain their psychic energy. Nate, a refugee from the dystopian age of Apocalypse Reality Warp, recognizes Exodus's facial markings as the handiwork of Apocalypse, and is so enraged that he manages to defeat Exodus and telekinetically seal him in the stone of the mountain. Didn't last long, apparently, because later that year he appears in the Magneto miniseries by Jorge Gonzalez and Kelly Jones, starring Joseph, a character who is apparently a de-aged amnesiac Magneto, but will later be revealed via retcon as a clone. In this story, Exodus has brought the Acolytes together again, and created a new home in Antarctica he calls New Avalon. He plans to launch it into space in a move that Amelia Vogt believes will irreparably damage Earth's tectonic plates. Vogt learns of Joseph, and believes he is Magneto somehow reborn after his apparent death when Avalon fell. Exodus, meanwhile, declares Joseph a pretender. This leads to open conflict between Exodus and Vote on what to do about him. Cortez, who got better, is playing them both and coaching Joseph to help him act the part of Magneto. Fighting, 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 don't worry about it, none of this matters. Eventually, Joseph proves there is something of the real Magneto in him, and Exodus cedes leadership of the Acolytes to him. While all this Joseph stuff is happening, a one-shot by Ben Robin Jim Chunk, called Black Knight Exodus finally explains what the hell is up with this guy. Benet de Paris was born in 12th century France with a strangely red-pink complexion that made him a social outcast. Confident in his own power and ability despite this, he joined the Crusades, where his closest battlefield companion was Eobar Garrington, the Black Knight. They're pretty clearly lovers in my opinion, but because it's the 12th century in the story and 1996 in reality, they are officially presented as very good friends. After a siege of Jerusalem, Bene and Ayabar set off in search of the fabled Tower of Power in the city of Aqaba. Bene is perturbed when Abar starts acting strangely, because he's been semi-possessed by the time-traveling soul of Dane Whitman. Dane's love interest Cersei the Eternal physically time-travels herself, and her presence causes further strife between Bene and Ayabar. Bene thinks Cersei's sorcery might be useful, but Ayabar's faith will not allow him to employ witchcraft. Things get so bad that the two men clash physically, and Binet stalks off on his own to find the tower in the desert. He nearly dies in the attempt, but hears the voice of Apocalypse, who awakens his mutant powers with a series of tests and transforms him into Exodus. As a final test, Apocalypse demands that Exodus fight Aeobar in a duel to the death, and Exodus, invigorated by new purpose and mad with new power, is at first eager to do so. Aeobar eventually manages to reach the human part of Benet that still loves him, or, a. Uh, Still is independent or whatever. Look, read the comic yourself and draw your own conclusions. Exodus realizes he's become Apocalypse's slave and attacks his new master who quickly defeats him. Cersei and Aabar slash Dane discover the tomb in the Alps six months later, determining that Apocalypse has put Exodus in a deep sleep and cursed him so that he cannot leave the tomb. Eobar's brother knights agree they will stand guard over Exodus's tomb forever for some reason. Anyway, 800 years later, and a year later in real life, Exodus and the Acolytes attack Mount Wondagore again in the Quicksilver Solo series in a crossover event called the Siege of Wondagore. And I'm sorry, I just don't care. It's all about killing Luna again, and also an attempt to unlock the power of Isotope E, a creation of the High Evolutionary. Do not worry about this. There is a good bit of continuity here where Pyro is working for Exodus because Exodus has promised him a cure for the legacy virus. But Exodus is lying, obviously, because at this point there is no cure, and he sees mutants with legacy as impure. He plans to execute Pyro once he completes his tasks. Eventually, Exodus teams up with the good guys to fight the high evolutionary, but he ends up battling the Black Knight and learning it was Dane he fought way back in that whole story with Aeobar. The Black Knight is confusing. Don't sweat this too much. Dane pops Exodus back in his Swiss tomb for a more sleepy time. He's broken out again, apparently, in time for the 1999 Uncanny X-Men Annual by Ben Robb and Anthony Williams, which is an extremely weird little story. Exodus has decided to try the human mutant unity thing for some reason, so he disguises himself as Magneto, seizes control of the Acolytes again, and takes over Genosha. He actually creates peace on the island for once, and the X-Men decide to go check out what the hell is going on. It turns out their ally, Forge, has been kidnapped by Exodus and forced to boost his powers with technology, keeping all the Genosians docile through enhanced telepathy. Wolverine frees Forge, and with the machines destroyed, the country again erupts in civil war. The political change of heart apparently didn't last, because five years later, Chuck Austin brings Exodus back for a brief arc as the leader of a new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Betrayed by two of his recruits, Juggernaut and Nocturne, he ends up sucked into the black hole inside Zorn's head. Do not worry about it. Apparently he winds up in Mojo World, but we never find out what happened, and it does not matter. After the 2005 Decimation, in which all but about 200 mutants worldwide are depowered by the Scarlet Witch, Exodus is one of the few to retain his powers. He returns to prominence under new writer Mike Carey in 2007, assembling a new team of acolytes from other mutants who retain their powers, including Frenzy, Tempo, and Random. Attacking a S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, Exodus repurposes its technology to create a mutant detecting device, and is devastated to see that there are no mutant children being born. Not a single mutant has manifested since M-Day. Despairing, he travels to Antarctica, where he reluctantly forges an alliance with Mr. Sinister. Sinister has learned from the diaries of the deceased precognitive mutant, Destiny, that a new mutant baby is about to be born, a messiah who will be the key to the future of the species. To keep this knowledge from the X-Men, Exodus and the Acolytes start hunting down and killing other precognitive mutants. Exodus personally goes to kill the X-Men's student blindfold, but finds she has apparently already died by suicide. Sinister also wants to seize the diaries themselves, but Exodus fails to locate them, and they end up destroyed. This leads into the franchise-wide event Messiah Complex, in which various forces battle for control of the mutant Messiah, a baby girl who will eventually be named Hope Summers. Exodus and his acolytes merge with Mr. Sinister's marauders to fight the X-Men, first in Antarctica and then again in a climactic battle on Muir Island, where Exodus suffers a humiliating defeat at the hands of Emma Frost and, especially, her student Surya Qadir, aka Dust. The X-Men manage to send the baby into the future with Cable, but a traitor among them, Lucas Bishop, tries to kill her with a gunshot, accidentally hitting Charles Xavier in the skull instead. Xavier's apparently killed, and the X-Men are left reeling as his body disappears with the Acolytes. Carrie's adjectiveless X-Men is here retitled X-Men Legacy and becomes a book focused on Charles Xavier. We learn that Exodus used Tempo's time powers to snatch Xavier's body, and that the Professor is still alive. His mind has been nearly destroyed by the bullet so Exodus absorbs his memories and begins rebuilding his brain telekinetically. When the comatose Xavier subconsciously refuses to accept his memories back, Exodus turns to Magneto, once his savior, but now a figure of his disgust after being depowered in the decimation. Magneto helps rouse Xavier over the strenuous objections of Frenzy, who Magneto takes down with a laser to the eye to protect Charles. Enraged, Exodus intends to execute Magneto for the apparent death of Frenzy, but Charles awakens and battles Exodus on the astral plane. After a lengthy conflict in which Xavier is forced to accept and reintegrate some of his most traumatic memories, Exodus asks him to become the new leader of the Acolytes. Refusing to lead anyone anymore, Xavier rejects the offer and departs. The following year, as Carrie begins to bring his Xavier arc to a close, Charles returns to visit the Acolytes after he's fully restored his mind. Turning Exodus's earlier methods back on him, Charles shows Exodus the futility of continuing to fight for mutant supremacy in a world where mutants are nearly extinct. Exodus decides to disband the Acolytes, and departs on a pilgrimage to parts unknown. Three years later, under new writer Christus Gage, Exodus approaches the X-Men in the wake of the schism between Cyclops and Wolverine. He's agitated that the decimated mutant race is not sticking together, and believes the X-Men who left Utopia must return to it. He's also upset to discover that Frenzy, who got better, has become one of the X-Men in his absence. Reading Rogue's memories, Exodus decides Cyclops actually was at fault for the schism, so decides to kill Cyclops to bring the X-Men back together in unity. It's the teenagers of Utopia, including Hope Summers, who aged up in the future, who provide the backup necessary to defeat him. Exodus is taken with Hope and longs to serve her, but for now he's placed in the brig on Utopia. Not long afterward, Utopia is destroyed during Avengers vs. X-Men, and Exodus escapes. Four years later, he shows up again for Inhumans vs. X-Men era stuff under writer Colin Bunn, which we are going to skip through as quickly as possible. Exodus is upset about Mpox and suspicious of a corporation that's promising mutants they'll be kept safely in suspended animation until a cure can be found. He turns the sleeping mutants into sleeper agents and tries to convince Magneto to use them as an army, but Magneto, who's currently leading an X-Men team, is not interested. He puts Exodus into suspended animation for some future plan, but that doesn't go anywhere because IVX happens. Waking up again, he's always waking up, king of the snooze button. Exodus bonds with Elixir, a former Xavier School student who is a mutant healer. When he senses Magneto near death, he teleports Elixir to him and saves his life, then teleports away. Exodus and Elixir later prove critical to curing the global mother vine infection created by Bastion, which I promise you do not need to worry about. He then joins Magneto's new brotherhood of evil mutants, which doesn't do anything because of the 2019 soft reboot, House of X and Powers of Ten, by writer Jonathan Hickman, in which Exodus is one of countless mutants to become a citizen of the new mutant sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa. Exodus is one of many villainous characters who accept amnesty in exchange for becoming Krakoan and following the laws of the new state, and is named to the ruling Quiet Council as part of the Winter Table, representing the interests of former villains. While he's been in plenty of scenes as part of the Council, Exodus hasn't really done very much in this era yet besides foment hatred of Wanda Maximoff, indoctrinating Krakoan children to view her as the wicked pretender, a boogeyman figure. But with writer Kieran Gillen about to launch Immortal X-Men, a new ongoing title focused on the Quiet Council, no doubt Exodus will be making proclamations from the heavens once more soon enough. X-Men! X-Men! And we're back! Hope you enjoyed that accounting (laughs) of
0: the exodus. Tony, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm drinking. What are you drinking? I'm actually just drinking a soda at the moment, but I... Oh, I'm the only tanked one. No, I took an edible before we started. (laughs)
1: Nice. (laughs) So, uh, after Age of Apocalypse, this guy Holocaust, who is so funny. I had this action figure. Me... Two.
0: he's a great design the name the sucks name is unfortunate is the main thing yeah they tried to make it work forever because like chris claremont really kind of liked he wanted to name wasn't Cannonball. cannonball almost was holocaust?
1: almost called holocaust here's the thing in the sense of a nuclear holocaust that word was still used really frequently yeah. by the 80s but by the 90s when you say holocaust we're really like the cold war is over mostly we're yeah. really just Talking about the show when we talk about the Holocaust. So when you have a villain show
0: up like, I am Holocaust, it's like, are yeah. you? Why? They tried to change it. He tried to be nemesis, nemesis. for a while. And now he's genocide, which is not, not better. <laughs> it is a little better. Because it's more general, I guess. Sure. Like, there's lots yeah, of genocides. Specific. Yeah, but also he's fifteen in the current continuity, which actually genocide is a very fifteen-year-old codename. Yeah, but
1: also like, let's not worry about that Rick Remender character because I am not. Right. Do we? Are we? <laughs> is, will we ever see his like again? Like, I, I hope. I think he's off somewhere with the Apocalypse Twins, and we don't have to yeah. worry about it. Yeah.
0: Well, Luminous has a tendency. Luminous up popped up though, so you're <laughs> right. I can't. I shouldn't count them out. I know you don't talk about the Age of Apocalypse in general, but. Exodus is a character in it. No, that's worth, it's worth it's mentioning. It's very funny because he seems to be dating Dazzler. He's dating is Dazzler,
1: which is very funny.
0: If dating Polaris is gay, dating Dazzler is like, full, what was that Greek word you just used?
1: Canidos. No, dating Dazzler is like <laughs> poppered up gay downstairs yeah. Yeah. in a sling.
0: Yeah, again, gooning out at the... Bathhouse. Yeah. <laughs> like, Bet Midler. <laughs> Dating Dazzler is like, for... <laughs> ah, gay. Like, like there's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, he also notably tries to take a cigarette from her because it's going to make her breath stink. And she's like, as if you're going to make out with me. <laughs> like... Which is great. <laughs> uh, he's also not pink. He is just a generic white guy. Regular guy. Apocalypse.
1: And he's uh, one of the X Men in this. He's one
0: of the X-Men. He is clearly freshly defrosted. He has no idea what his powers are. Magneto's like, you can teleport, you know? And he's like, I can? Sure. (laughs) And then he, he does. Yeah, he's endearing. This is the first time his real name is used, although they clearly hadn't decided what his name was yet.
1: They keep calling him Paris Bennett.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is also super gay.
1: Yeah, it is, especially because there was an American Idol contestant named Paris Bennett at one point. Really? She was good. She didn't get that far, as I recall. But I remember when Paris Bennett was on American Idol, I was just like, Exodus.
0: Did she have the epaulettes? No, yes. she was just
1: like, she was this like very cute black teenage girl. She looked nothing like the... Lausch, like pink <laughs> French homosexual <laughs> that I was expecting. But Paris Bennett is a good, that's a good, like, really bullshitty Celine Gallio type alias to just like throw together on a Paris fake Bennett. document. Yeah. But he could have just been Bennett Paris.
0: Yeah. Paris Bennett is like a mid season gossip girl villain. Yes. Where they last for like three episodes. Right. And then Poppy Lifton kills them. Right. Like that's, yeah. Remember Poppy Lifton? <laughs> Who could forget? <laughs> Wasn't she dating the guy who ended up being a cannibal? Army Hammer wasn't Army Hammer dating Poppy? We can't.
1: We can't (laughs) go to a place of (laughs) Army Hammer cannibalism on this podcast (laughs) right now. We can't.
0: Anyway, the Age of Apocalypse comes and goes, but there are four survivors of it.
1: Right. There are a couple people from the AOA who managed to survive the reality warp and make it through to uh, 616. They are Nate Gray, the X-Man, the Dark Beast, Sugar Man, who you don't have to worry about.
0: (laughs) 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 He was a villain in a video game.
1: My headcanon that I'm obsessed with, and I forget, someone said this to me, like the idea that... Sugarman is the aoa version of jumbo carnation
0: oh because they, they both
1: have, have four arms car. and yeah. do like weird experiment like oh, you know it would be like oh, instead of instead of going into fashion i experiment on on people, people. that's not,
0: that's kind of interesting wouldn't that be that fun sure. i mean but also
1: like we will probably just never see the sugar man again but the
0: sugar man made it through what's interesting about that is like it Cause Sugarman, you don't need Sugarman if you have Dark Beast, except right. Like why both? But one of the cool things would be: what if he's just making monsters because they're cool? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he's not like Sauron. He just wants to turn <laughs> yeah. people into monsters. <laughs> like he's just making aesthetic evolutionary choices. Yeah, I like that. So
1: the fourth survivor of the Age of Apocalypse is Holocaust, who is Apocalypse's son. He's a little skeleton in a big tank of. Right. Orange, fiery it liquid. He used to be a
0: hot twink, and then he killed Wanda Maximoff, so Magneto blew him into pieces. So now he has to wear this suit to hold <laughs> together his body at all times. Age
1: of Apocalypse is so cool. <laughs> and <he's, laughs>
0: his design is all time. It truly it's is. It's great. Like, it's great. Action figure version, art version, like Majorera giving you everything, like floating goop in a tank. Love it.
1: Glob Herman found dead
0: yeah exactly <laughs> he's ripped he's got the abs he's got a big gun for a hand he just has the worst code name in marvel comics history but well and
1: it became nemesis because they couldn't put holocaust on the action figure
0: on an action figure yeah so he was like dark nemesis or something dark which nemesis. Is actually what his name was before he exploded he's called nemesis when he's a hot twink with a little ponytail
1: nemesis i feel like is a code name a couple different people used
0: yeah, it's a very basic, it's basic. ass. It's like it's a basic. first It's a first draft. You grow out of nemesis. Well,
1: because it's like, okay, what do
0: I call myself? I'm a supervillain.
1: Nemesis. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Got it. He arrives in our reality frozen in space, and it, like, bumps against Avalon, and Exodus <laughs> is like, a star child, a new messiah for me. And he's like, there's a great scene of him, like, having champagne and being like he toasts and he's like may we get everything we deserve and then he nemesis defrosts and fully eats first of all eats rusty fully eats and just like, sucks him
1: down house. celine style
0: <laughs> and then tears uh, avalon apart it like falls to earth colossus is like helping with the evacuation cyclops and Jean get teleported up by amelia vote who uses her like Ghosty, her sexy, whispery, mist powers. I love her teleport. I fucking it's love so Amelia cool. Vote. She
1: rules.
0: Yeah, she's also we didn't even mention she's like new as of Fatal Attraction. Yeah, she's
1: like, a new character. She's not a Claremont edition.
0: Another one of Xavier's many exes. This yes, is the one who actually helps him after he loses the use of his legs. Yes, she's the one we got into that in the like, Xavier
1: episode. Yeah, I'm a big vote head myself. Oh, she rules. She's great, she's
0: like, and she's a good opposite number for Exodus. Yeah. She also knows what it's like to be in love with a dude who ends up being wildly disappointing. <laughs> sure does. And
1: she's much more practical than Exodus is. Yeah, yeah. After last week's episode, the Val Cooper
0: episode, in
1: which I'm sure you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I am
0: ha- I'm literally, I am halfway through it, I believe. Oh, I love that. I just heard you warn everybody to use Narcan, which is a good tip. <laughs> listen, if you're gonna do it, carry Narcan. Mm. But anyway...
1: Go to harmreduction.org. I didn't say that last time, but you should if you are someone who is out using any kind of party drugs. You know, I make jokes about the nightlife and my wild youth on this podcast, but I want to make sure that I'm also leading people to resources that are important. So there you yeah. go. But anyway, Patrick Sullivan in that suggested at one point that Julianne Moore should play Amelia Vogt. She's perfect. She would be perfect. Because she's like whispery and spooky. And now I'm like, it's yeah. all I want. It's truly all I yeah. want.
0: She deserves to be as famous as, like, Moira and... I mean, Gabrielle Haller is not really... Gabrielle is difficult. She's so fixed in time that it's like... Yeah, they have to kind of, like, shuffle her off. But she is a good third of the group. Like, I like the idea of one... I kind of like the idea of, like, a Moira who was actually, a a version of Moira who was like, actually, let's try it Magneto's way for a bit.
1: Yeah, which is one of the, which is one of the past lives now of Moira X, but Amelia served that purpose before that, which was really good. I like how she's popped up in Sword. I liked when Abigail Brand sent her to supervise yeah. the war crimes because that's something
0: that Amelia's good at. I wrote her into a scene, but I, I write too many scenes and it had to go. Oh, in, in The uh, <laughs> Last Annihilation? <laughs> yeah, that would have been yeah. fun. <laughs> and a new Sione was in it, too. I was going to
1: say, so this <laughs> moment where Avalon's collapsing is also is big moment because yes. she uses her psionic exoskeleton. She's like armor, but cooler in my opinion.
0: Sorry. She also sometimes has psionic powers, yeah. But- yeah, well, it's a psionic exoskeleton, but it's like a four- Field. But it lets her like. She can do, do a psychic knife thing. Yeah, exactly. Like Betsy. Yeah.
1: But she also, it's just sort of like. An electrical wicker man that surrounds her, which I think <laughs> <Yes>. is cool.
0: <laughs> you always call her Unis's daughter, but I always read her as his sister. It's I read never Unice's been established, super, yeah.
1: but it depends how old you think of Unis. He
0: has as. to be. Would have to be so old that part of me. And I also. Well, he's like, like an old timey wrestler in that like outfit. Yeah. So uh, to but me, he's also so closety gay to me that like. I loved what you were saying on
1: Twitter that. <laughs> Carmela and Angelo should go <laughs> back to Italy and he should come yeah, out to their beloved pupazza. It should be that scene from
0: Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt <laughs> where it's just like... Two New Jersey Italians, like, and their Uh, wizened grandmother. I think as the sliding
1: times, the thing is, like, he was a 60s villain and then she was a 90s villain. So it made sense that she'd be a daughter. But with the sliding timescale and him now around looking about the same age as he did in the 60s. And he did die a few times. He did die a few times. but, uh, But honestly, I'd be fine with them being siblings and then Radius, like, her being, like, Aunt Carm. To Radius. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would be fun. Uh, but this is not an Unis the Untouchable podcast, so we mm. should probably move on. I just, I remember that, I just have always from childhood remembered that panel. This is why I think Unis is cool. And I've always said it, Unis Shone, like she's from Jersey. But <laughs> I've always found her cool because of this panel where she's stretching her exoskeleton out to like hold together. The escape pod is burning up and she's like making right. sure that it doesn't. Very like Jean Grey before she becomes the Phoenix. And Scott is going... Come on, Unishone! Like, do it! Like, he's like, he's like, harder! You know, and he's like, really putting, yeah. she's like, I'm doing it, okay? It's a cool power feet kind of moment. This is the beginning of his
0: cool relationship with the Acolytes. Yeah, this is where frenzy gets sprung over exactly. him for the first time. Yeah. Because he, he, when they crash land in the desert, he's the one that gets them home. Yeah, and
1: she's like, "This is kind of hot." He's kind of hot. Yeah, she's totally into yeah. It. She's like, also like, he's like six four, or whatever. Like, uh-huh. I'm only eight inches taller on. than him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, Exodus and Holocaust are slugging it out all the way down. So that's the end of Avalon. That's the end of his weird space cult, and it also leads to his like depowerment, where he becomes like this energy vampire. Trying to fight X Man and Cable,
1: he's so weakened that he kind of Celine's out a little bit, and is yeah, like, I mean, exactly. now
0: if you now think about Apocalypse
1: and Celine as both being in a coven together, the way that the Externals have been reimagined by Teenie Howard, you could say that perhaps the method that Apocalypse uses to create people like Exodus and Sinister is not
0: <laughs> dissimilar
1: <laughs> S- to S- what Celine S- does, yeah. like. <laughs> Maybe he observed her and was like, that seems useful.
0: It is notable that, I mean, this is not an original thought, but like, it is very notable that his next creation, Mister Sinister, is very clearly a Dracula, right? Yes, he's <laughs> like, just a Dracula. Yeah, he's he makes the vampire. A man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's just a big gay Dracula. But Dracula is yeah. a big gay Dracula, so it's, it's not. True. You know, Ram
0: Stoker was Bram Stoker uh, was a very like exodusy kind of guy, tragic right? like,
1: celibate gay guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean,
0: super in love with this like magisterial actor who is clearly the basis for Dracula. Mm-hmm. Like, um. All of, I mean, no, we don't need to rehearse how all the vampire stories are written by homosexuals. Yes, it's a real gay genre. So, you know, what are you going to do? But
1: yeah, so that leads to a fight with X-Man, Nate Gray. We'll probably get into that in a couple of weeks. But mm. back in the Swiss Alps by, by his tomb, in his little tomb house, Exodus <laughs> becomes more powerful because he's absorbing Nate's telepathic attacks. But then Nate recognizes the markings on his face, the ones that actually came from his boyfriend.
0: Right, Aobar Garrington. But I don't think head, that this writer knew
1: that. And so he says that those are the marks of Apocalypse, and he's so angry because he's from the Age of Apocalypse and yada yada that he overcomes Exodus and basically reentombs him within the mountain or right.
0: whatever. Um, and this basically brings an end to the 90s and also for a fair bit exodus's relevance (laughs) yeah
1: there's that um when is the magneto series there's like a magneto solo about joseph
0: oh yeah he's very involved in all of the he's all
1: up in that and here's the bottom line it doesn't matter because joseph doesn't matter Joseph is a true Dwight in the history of the X-Men. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to be rude. Like, I thought he was, I think he's an interesting character, but whenever they bring him back, they're like, I guess he's evil now, like, who cares? Like, they're not, it's right. not thoughtful. Because yeah. the original plot, which was clearly that he was Magneto,
0: got tossed
1: out. Like, I don't know what the behind the scenes there is. They wanted him to be
0: sexy anime Magneto with the yeah. long flowing hair. And but the, like...
1: then they decided, no, he's a clone. Right. He got maddied, you know? Similarly, Astra has never Reappeared. yes no who gives a <laughs> shit the one time astra reappeared it was great was i forget which artist it was but it was so it was such an honest mistake it was the preview art went up and it was a fight with the imperial guard and i think it might have been um jan who you worked with on uh last oh, annihilation yeah. Yeah, so there yeah. was a preview page for something maybe it was mr and mrs x i don't remember but there was a scene with the imperial guard and astra the other astra is a member of the imperial guard <laughs> and clearly someone had sent the wrong reference Because in the preview art, it's that Astra sitting with like Gladiator and Oracle and those people.
0: Well, she gets around. In the finished comic,
1: it was the Shi'ar Imperial Guard Astra. (laughs) It was like, someone clearly caught it and was like, wait, 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 we sent the wrong image. Sorry, can you redo
0: that? She's kind of like an opposite number for Sage where she was like a secret member. I've said that. I've said that they're the
1: same retcon, but Sage is a good retcon and Astra is a bad retcon. Astra does not very
0: additive. No. no, (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: But anyway, so the Magneto series. Series is about Joseph, who's this young version of Magneto that has arisen and is in love with Rogue and yada yada. We've talked about this in the Rogue episode.
0: At the moment where she's most estranged from Gambit, yes, because right? like, of the he, trial she's now found out of about his role in the mutant. Yes, exactly. So basically,
1: Exodus and Vote are fighting over control of the acolytes, and Joseph shows up, and it's like, well, it's Magneto, right? <laughs> Exodus is pissed because he thinks that it's not really like he's he's basically like this is a pretender he uh but eventually, Joseph like really impresses them all, and they accept that he's really Magneto. But then it turns out he isn't really Magneto, so there's no point to this miniseries. That we can yes. just go, we can just move on. Yeah. But that's the only other really like important thing that Exodus
0: does in the 90s. he has an appearance in the Chuck Austin years, which is like truly a dwey, where he's part of the Brotherhood that has Mamomax, the elephant. Guy. Yep. <laughs> there is no real. This is part of the Juggernaut arc where Juggernaut is bonding with. That little kid, the, yeah, the squid, squid boy. boy, this is a weird yeah. one
1: because he is just a again, he's just like a regular white guy, like he's not just a generic- magenta, but also he's wearing like Mikhail Rasputin's outfit, like he doesn't even look like himself, yeah, he's had a d
0: design, yeah.
1: I actually really wouldn't be surprised if someone drew Mikhail Rasputin by mistake because he looks like Mikhail Rasputin, not Exodus.
0: His epaulets go missing. He doesn't have any shoulder wings. He doesn't have them for a while, actually, until everyone's like, that's the best thing about that guy. Right. (laughs) Put those back. Slap
1: those wings back on.
0: Yeah. He gets eaten by a Zorn at the end of the story and it fully never gets- Never explained. explained. (laughs) He just gets sucked into Zorn's
1: head. The real Zorn, the second Zorn, actually, the brother of the- Don't. Don't worry about it. Do do not Do not (laughs) worry about it. So then (laughs) M-Day hits.
0: M-Day. And suddenly Exodus becomes like a very useful character again. Right, because
1: they need to gather people, right? And they're trying to gather all of the 198 mutants that they've found via Cerebro and whatever into one place. And... You want someone who is going to pull some of those people away to a different goal, right? Also,
0: thematically, he speaks to exactly the question of M-Day, which is like, well, what the fuck do you do when the coordinates of the meaning of your life are gone, right? Like, he is this kind of... Also, it's like Wanda's fault, right? Yeah, they they don't know that. Yeah, but Yes.
1: (laughs) Most of the Acolytes have been depowered. So Exodus gathers together a bunch who he manages to locate who are
0: still around. Frenzy and Tempo. Frenzy, I think Tempo
1: from the MLF, and Random from X Factor, right, mm. X Factor. And eventually like Unishone and Vote and other people kind of start popping back up. But he breaks into a S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, trying to get a hold of
0: technology he can use to create a Cerebro of his own. Because right. he has correctly deduced that the next thing to look for is the children. Is babies, right? Like, right? He's saying, like, yeah. are any of us being born? Right. And then he has the terrible moment where he realizes that it's the end, right? Like- There's no more mutant birth happening at all. And I really want to say that Mike Carey really does, like, renovate this character and make him more of a coherently, a character of integrity, right? Like, he opens this book with the flashback to him being knighted and all that, right? Yeah. it, it It is the moment where Exodus is the great man who is trying to be a good person but is willing to be a bad person in service of his kind is kind of where that character is distilled to that. And it stops being the thing I really hate of the nineties. And also like other stories is like, instead of critiquing the ideology, it becomes about, you're not a genuine person, right? Like, it's the thing the X-Men movie does. Cortez, yeah, for example, exactly. where it's like,
1: Cortez doesn't actually believe in Magneto at all. I've said this a couple times in the show before, but I dropped Cora after the first season because mm. I was so annoyed that the big finale twist was, oh, this equalist movement that actually has a totally great point about a flaw in our culture that privileges certain people This guy's a total fraud and doesn't believe any of it.
0: It's the Strife MLF problem is the real one in the 90s. They do it in the Statue of Liberty scene in the X-Men, too, where Wolverine is like, this is bullshit, because if you really believed in what you're saying, it would be you in the mutant machine, not Rogue. Right. And that really deflates the whole movie, because it's like, what if you took him seriously? And I like that Mike Carey does take him seriously. He is dangerous. Yeah. He will kill people if he has to kill people. He doesn't really respect human life. But he truly believes in what he's doing, and he truly does not hurt mutants unless he actually believes it is integral to the mission. And after the decimation, he is very aware there's only 198 of us. We cannot afford to lose a body. Right, he's
1: furious whenever anyone... Like, that's the thing that's interesting, is because now there's this interesting conflict between the remaining mutants who are so few, and whenever one of them is killed exodus is like are you fucking kidding me like we are this is a really really limited resource here people i mean the really interesting thing here is we'll get there but when magneto has been depowered which
0: repulses exodus right yeah (laughs) he doesn't know what to do when he looks at him yeah i mean that's at him (laughs) well it's like if god showed up and wasn't god anymore I think Amelia Vogt literally says that. Yes. It says like, what if Jesus came back and he was a Satanist? Yeah. yeah like that's it's what it's just like not for Exodus. Yeah.
1: Eric takes out Frenzy with a laser and like almost kills to her. To the eyeball. Yeah, laser yeah. to the eyeball because <laughs> she's indestructible. But guess what? She has to see somehow. So There's got to be a flaw in the eyes. I'm like, damn, that's unpleasant. <laughs> Exodus is furious because he's like, I mean, first of all, Cargill is one of Magneto's most loyal acolytes. So it's like, wow, yeah. Eric, what a fucking asshole yeah. move. But also...
0: You've raised a hand to to another
1: mutant mutant, and we don't have any. So what happens at the end of that story where he fights the X-Men with shield and whatnot is he goes down to Antarctica where Mr. Sinister has set up a base and (laughs) they start
0: conspiring together. He kneels to him, which is the most disgusting thing he can imagine having to do, but he has to do it. Yes. This is as like the parallel story that's happening is beast is going to all these characters trying to figure out like, can Dr. Doom save us? Can right. Dark Beast save Can us? Can Kavita Rao save us? Can all yeah, of these... Yeah, which,
1: holy. <laughs> and then they invite her to their house. The character trajectory of Kavita Rao is truly, oh boy.
0: truly insane. <laughs> That's a character I'd be good with, like, we don't really need to see again. She could go either way, right? Like, she could be on Orcus.
1: She could. She could. I mean, I. I believe... I liked her in the Utopia. Area. It just felt like a different character to
0: me. She should not have been. No, that's truly disgusting. It's, it's, it's truly like she literally. <laughs> I would. Yeah. Tried to I exterminate like... <laughs> them. It doesn't work for me. Vile, vile, vile. vile. Um, anyway, horrible person. Yeah. Well. Yeah. He kneels to sinister, and they try to figure out what they'll do next, and it's never shown because it is kind of the twist at the beginning of Messiah Complex. But they start getting rid of anyone who can predict the future because they have gleaned that a new baby will be born and they have to make sure no one else figures that out because they have to make sure no one can get to the baby before they do. Right. right?
1: So they go after the X-Men because the X-Men have Destiny's
0: diaries theoretically there's decoy books. They're blank. There's a double blind. But it's great when he's like got Shadowcat half phased through a wall. And That's like, fun. Why yeah. is this book blank? <laughs> 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 and she doesn't know. Yeah. She struck a deal with Emma to erase the, mo- the memory of that, the, that from her mind. Yes. It's really it's good. It's really good. <laughs> but unfortunately, he's just kind of a, a henchman. He's just kind
1: of a henchman here. Song, oh, uh, right. He tries to kill Blindfold, but she's already faked her death because right. she saw that he was coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. So good. That's good. <laughs> Mike Carey is really good about this kind of thing. In the X-Men legacy story that follows this up, they put on all their side shields to keep Xavier out and then realize he's put post-hypnotic suggestions in their head in the previous few days. <laughs> so they keep being <laughs> like, my side shield isn't working. I just unlocked the door. And he's like, yeah, I did that to you 72 hours ago. Yeah, because I knew <laughs> this was going to happen. <laughs> This is where Exodus
1: gets completely owned in the most delicious possible way, which is on Muir Island when he starts vomiting blood because (laughs) Emma distracted him and he was like, this wench, I'm going to defeat her. But he didn't realize that she was just buying time while Suraya Kadir, dust... (laughs)
0: He's been breathing. Her <laughs> He's been in breathing like in her minutes. silica
1: particles for the last twenty minutes, and, and then suddenly she starts blood. tearing up all his internal organs. <laughs> oh God,
2: it's so good.
1: It's so good. He just like he starts vomiting blood, and then just like sand pours out of his mouth into her niqab abaya, and abaya. She just like <laughs> rises up.
0: She has a nice he's chat with Emma Frog. He's a big gay pinata. Like, yes. he is so unstoppable. You can just beat the shit out of him in any story. Because he just in.
1: has a healing factor, apparently, too. Yeah. That's just another power his, he has. Or he goes
0: his bathhouse in the Swiss Alps, and he's Exactly. Fine. He's yeah. very Selene this way,
1: where it's like, you can just kind of knock him around. Or Apocalypse, yeah. the same way. Like, you can do horrendous shit to them, because we've established they just get better. So, yeah. <laughs> like, it's
0: fine. <laughs> And it kind of becomes the problem of like how do you beat him up because he is so overpowered like there's Which a... is
1: why this is such a great visceral scene of like the <laughs> Muslim heroine rips up the Crusader's Ripping internal organs Crusader. and makes him vomit up blood. <laughs> I'm like, this is killer. This is so good. <laughs> Messiah Comics ends with Bishop shooting Xavier in the head by accident while trying to kill Baby Hope. Um oh yeah, we're
0: not gonna get into the bishop at all. Not great, Lucas. Not great. Go to the cable episode. <laughs>
1: And we'll get into it more whenever I get to a bishop episode. The cable episode hurt my head so bad that I need a little bit of a break before I do another time traveler mm. like that. He's not as messy. He's not as messy, thankfully. But that but era, that era is, is real rough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 2022, for sure. But so Xavier's head is pulped. <laughs> Exodus sees that Xavier is dying and he's like, well, he's our enemy, but there aren't that many mutants left. So we're going to save him.
0: And he like stores him in his own mind for a minute. Yeah. He has
1: tempo freeze time and they bring the body away with them. And the X-Men think that Xavier died and the the Acolytes just stole the body. But actually they take him to their little base where Omega Sentinel uses her life support systems to keep Charles alive while exodus tries to rebuild brain his, his brain like, basically telekinesis yeah.
0: to there is a kind of cool way that maybe all his powers are the same power i was thinking about this like because he's he's very precise telekinetically his telepathy and then his teleporting are basically the three that he's got yeah because, like
1: Anything else is presumably Apocalypse's technology, like the fact that he heals and stuff.
0: Yeah, none of it is really ever consistent. Like, he's never been a vampire again. Right, <laughs> yeah. I mean, does, I, I can't remember. Does he teleport before? Teleporting is his main thing, because like, he's supposed to be the ferryman, right? Like, he shows up and teleports you to Avalon.
1: But I mean, before Apocalypse messed with him. Did he tell Oh well,
0: he has no power. That's the weird thing. Is, is that Apocalypse no like powers. awakens
1: his mutant gene. Yeah. yeah,
0: he's like yeah, he's like he's latent in a lot of ways. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, it's no, it's like Polaris in the
1: '60s, where like something yeah, has to activate exactly.
0: it, or like Magneto in his '30s, right? Like yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I just meant like with Polaris, it was an external machine that like you know right, that Rosmaro right. used.
0: Um, yeah, I realized that was confusing. I meant when Magneto was, was in, in his, his 30s. 30s. <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. the, right, no, I got what you meant. <laughs> so he's fixing Xavier. This issue rules, by the way. This because, is Mike Carey's X-Men legacy. Oh, I love starts this. starts around, I
1: think, 208? It's really
0: good. All the flashbacks are done by classic X-Men artists. So it's like John Romita Jr. doing the flashbacks as Xavier's brain is being rebuilt. Yeah, it's
1: so cool. And it's great... Streamlining of Xavier's history and also catching you up so that you understand it. If you're a newer reader, it's really expertly done.
0: And the crux of it is, as he's doing this, Exodus is holding Xavier to account. Right. Like this was Mike Carey's intention: is like, how do we undo the monstrosity of Deadly Genesis and all that stuff? And it's Exodus showing him like, if you. So the the great thing he does is he flashes. It's a flashback. I think it's a Greg Land flashback, actually, (laughs) to um, uh, Bolivar Trask, like X-Men 14, like debating him on the stage as he unveils the Sentinels. And Xavier's like, why would you think this would bother me? And he's like, oh, really? And it flashes to Cassandra Nova decimating Genosha. Mm -hmm. And he says, if you had just killed the Trasks, if you had just had the moral fortitude to be a little bit of a monster... You could have saved millions of lives.
1: Sixteen million people wouldn't have been killed by your sister just to get back at you using Tras technology. Like, just because you had to have the
0: principle, right? Like just because right. you had to be will this is his thing, right? Like this is the thing he learned. Is like, I can be a monster then, but I will at least be a monster on behalf of a principle I believe in. And it turns out at the end of this, he is not doing this to torture Xavier. He is doing it because he says we need a leader, and I need you to lead the Acolytes, because I can't lead. I'm not good at leading. Right. <laughs> I need you to be the thing. And Xavier's like, I can't do that anymore, and we can't. We cannot be a people who are always at war. And he convinces Exodus to, like, take a breather himself and, like, figure out what he'll be next.
1: Yeah, and Exodus ends up—it's interesting. He offers it twice, right? Mm-hmm. Because Xavier comes back around after he's had his like journey of facing all my past sins.
0: Right. And he like descends on their mountain. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and there he ends up showing Exodus. It's like sort of a turnabout moment where he shows Exodus, look at all these acolytes that followed you
0: who are dead now. Mm-hmm. And he says it doesn't bother him, right? He's like, I will always be first in the lists, is what he says. Yeah. Dying is what he's uh he says, I am an honest man and a warrior, a crusader for what is just. I only fear dishonor and dying with my work unfinished. Jesus. <laughs> like, that's what I love about this character and is what un- is unique about this. Ca- like, I know he's like a wet blanket for a lot of people. But, like, I like that there is someone on Krakoa who is truly trying to live on behalf of... The- like, he actually should be the one running their creepy CIA, right? Like... Because he actually is a person of integrity, just saying, <laughs> not for himself. Right? right. I think that what's
1: interesting here is that the realization he has is not, I regret letting those people die, right? Which is like Xavier's big thing is like, I have mistreated all these people. Right. Exus is like, no, that was all for the cause and i would do it all again yeah but now the cause is dead whether i like it or not right the realization he has is there are only because after this after a bunch of events that have now happened there's like 170 of them if we're being real he says to the acolytes as he tells them like you know what you need to go do your own thing and i'm gonna leave because i need a minute He says, mutant kind are not a race anymore. (laughs) They need a different kind of protector now, a different kind of crusade. We must, all of us, consider what that might be. Strive to be the knights our lost tribes need, whatever that striving might cost us. And then he sets off on a pilgrimage, and that very easily could have been just like the end of that character Mm -hmm. forever, honestly. Mm -hmm. But I get that he's an appealingly powerful villain to bring back for stuff. So,
0: of course, he comes back. I don't. He has like three major arcs before the Krakoa stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like none of them matter. Well, the last one interests me a little. Like, okay, so there's the the legacy fight where he literally is mad that Cyclops is living on Utopia and Wolverine is running. This one's just
1: weird to me. It's like this is after Carrie's left. It's just a beat him up. He does
0: fight yeah. Dust again, which is fun.
1: What bothers me is exodus is like i can't believe you abandoned cyclops and his military whatever he has the right of it then he reads all their minds it's like wait no cyclops is wrong and it felt like one of the millions of times that they like (laughs) told us cyclops was wrong when actually if you're reading the comic cyclops is right and wolverine is full of shit which dust then explains to rogue in this very issue so it's a (laughs) but like we're supposed to sort of accept exodus's reading as like factual i don't know right it's an odd story it also
0: it also does you it this is where the idea of him having confidence powers came and went from he also explicitly says he has a vow of celibacy here which i like less
1: yeah no i like it as an i like it as an implication
0: i think he's just a person who is damaged and like because he's not part of an actual religious order. Like, yeah. he's just modeling himself after Although he does mention it. it to Frenzy, which is funny, because he's like, because Frenzy's crushing on Cyclops still. So of course. Like, the simpler thing to do is just not think about these things. Yeah, I do think he's just... He's frigid, is his deal. Yeah, I think he's under a vow. Right.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and I think that he also... I think he does carry whatever 13th century shame about his homosexuality. I mean, right, I think that that's yes. That's definitely yeah. the subtext. And if you're noticing that we think every villain in this franchise is gay, it's because they are. I'm not...
0: We're not making Uh-oh. this up. Yeah, I don't I think... mean, Sauron's not, but I'm saying, like, a lot Sauron's of them are. not. Yeah, some of them aren't, you know. Like, a lot of the... I mean, it... It speaks so much easier to the metaphor, especially emerging out of the 60s and like like there is a kind of way where it's like, yeah, we're gay, but we're not like those faggots over there. Right, right? Like yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Especially as like the liberalism of the X-Men emerges. Mm-hmm. It is not an accident that the villains tend to be coded this way yeah
1: because they're they're refusing assimilation in various ways yeah
0: exactly when exodus shows up he's like fuck you i'm fabulous yeah i'm gonna put my big shoulder
1: wings on and this is when he finally (laughs) does get the shoulder (laughs) wings back which is the inhumans versus x-men era which uh we're gonna skip because we just don't fucking it's a no i don't want to i mean if you want to do you want to but do you want to talk about it
0: he like fights it doesn't in the Uh,
1: he's trying to avoid he's trying to stop
0: mpox Right. He is saving a bunch of... Okay, I'll do it really fast so you don't have to endure it. So a bunch of mutants see the MPOX is coming, which if you don't know because this podcast never talks about Why? it. We've had cloud. to a couple times. <laughs> the
1: Terrigen Mist Cloud of the Inhumans starts killing mutants right. with a disease called MPOX.
0: Some of the mutants are going into deep freeze to stay safe from this with a corporation called the Someday Corporation who are actually just turning them into monsters to use as weapons. Exodus figures this out. And is defrosting these mutants and turning them back against the people who are trying to use them. So he's like causing scenes. At the end of this, he gets put into deep freeze by Magneto and is then promptly defrosted in the X-Men Blue period for the aborted, and I think kind of cool, last Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is like him, Marrow, Toad what looks like Anushion and then <laughs> Briar Raleigh, yeah, truly the worst <laughs> person who ever lived. <laughs> a normal human whose family is killed by Magneto, whose leg is like ruined by Magneto. She uses a leg brace, but is now like psychosexually obsessed with the way Magneto hurt her. Truly a monstrous. I'm glad we haven't seen her again. <laughs> But she's on the team, just a human who's there. Then they have to deal with
1: the Mother Vine crisis at one point. Yes. I mean, and
0: this literally It's leads a weird into moment it, where however. Exodus
1: and Elixir are like palling around oh, yeah. for Elixir's a while. Oh, yeah, Elixir's on the team. Yeah. Elixir and Exodus are buddies now. I guess I'll we'll have to find out how at some point for an Elixir episode. But at this moment, <laughs> I couldn't possibly <laughs> tell you.
0: Oh, who does he. He heals.
1: They heal um, Magneto. Buddy. Like, yeah. Exodus feels Betsy try to kill Magneto, and they teleport in to heal him. And then it's Elixir who can fix the Mother Vine stuff. So, Exodus teleports him all over the earth to, like, cure the Mother Vine infections.
0: Right, 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 right.
1: It does very much have a, like, Ganymede, Cupberry kind of vibe
0: here, but it's like now Exodus has a Cupbearer. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I don't, maybe I missed that. That Foley Kid is trouble. Oh, Maybe he's like working with Donald Pierce. <laughs> he starts out as a purifier before he realizes <laughs> yeah, he's a mute. Right. Yeah, no, he's kind of the Sam story in earnest. I'm right? not a the, I'm not a Guthrie. huge fan personally. Yeah, I mean he's interesting as like a he. I like him as like he's definitely that horrible first crush every gay boy gets. You know, like, sure. He's just a monk, Like I'm surprised that the well, you've probably done a prodigy episode by now. Like the prodigy of it. That's all, next week, actually. Oh. Yeah, there's something I, I'm surprised David and the David thing has never been made textual. Although Prodigy is so newly
1: newly queer, yeah. I mean, we'll
0: see. I mean, I, that's weird to think about because it it's all the way back to Young Avengers Volume Two. But then but he, he wasn't in really, a lot of stuff before Krakoa. Yeah, and then he hasn't really interacted with those kids in a while. Right. So. I think Julian
1: Keller is also that, but the funny thing is, like Julian Keller, not that bad a guy.
0: Uh, Hellion. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh. I think history is starting to redeem. History <laughs> so is starting he, to vindicate. He, Julian Keller made some points. Julian <laughs> Keller made some points about <laughs> all of you assimilation freaks who love cops. Turns out a bus exploded. It turns Maybe out the bus exploded. Have Maybe you should listen to that, that guy, to that guy who <laughs> thought that the FBI really didn't have our best interests at heart. Maybe those sentinels on the lawn are bad. <laughs> yeah,
1: and that brings us up to Krakoa, where Exodus is now on Krakoa, just vibing. He tried to yeah. start a cult with some kids. Uh, We haven't seen the end of Trial of Magneto yet. I do think that if Wanda didn't like mystically kill herself somehow, then Exodus is the logical (laughs)
0: culprit. I think we have established a motive for sure. Yeah, but he is
1: now in the teasers for Immortal X-Men. So I don't think he's going anywhere. So I don't Mm. think that's going to be the resolution there. Exodus to me feels like a character who must have gotten screwed by COVID in some way because it feels like, You know, we know that there are a couple plots that had to get... Because they lost a whole bunch of issues, every title, Mm. you know? Like, the Shinobi Shaw plot in Marauders very clearly doesn't come to full fruition. You know what I mean? There's a couple stories like that. Exodus is one where I'm just like, everybody else on the council had
0: something to do. So Yeah, I love him, but I would also love to hear why... Like, he is a surprising pull for the council. Like, why I mean,
1: he was chosen, right? Like, what
0: is it Jonathan Hickman liked? Uh, like, he's great. I Obviously, I've tried to make a case for why he's there, but I'm surprised that anyone else was interested in making that case.
1: This is, of course, me being like, duh, it's me. But I would have put Celine there if yeah. I was doing, like, On a villain. Winter council. It's the villain
0: table, you know? It's funny that you think of it that way. I think of it as the ancient mutant table like but I it's think of it not as, because apocalypse yeah, was older. sitting with charles that's right, and eric that's right. it's just the what is but like what is is there an, an ideologically coherent way to hold that table together You know, <laughs> exodus sinister and mystique, mystique. Right? so not really i mean i guess they are all I mean, they were the agents of the Messiah comp. They were all working together on Messiah. They were, and they
1: are all, they are power players in like the game of Mm -hmm. mutant politics. The problem really is that Exodus never accomplished like Jack or shit. So it doesn't, like, it it feels like we're being told. They're like, put it, they put Exodus over, basically. There's a lot of characters Mm. that I think you could point to as having made more of an impact on mutant politics, but. He's cool, and I think you could do cool stuff with him in the future. So I'm not
0: mad about the choice. I think it works. Actually, I think that the place that I'm surprised he never came up was Way of X.
1: I thought he was going to be the bad guy.
0: Because as soon as someone says, I want to found a mutant religion, guess who's going to pop up? Right. right? Yeah, (laughs) no. Actually, it's funny he and Kurt have never had a conversation. I do think there's a way that the Catholic characters do get really badly Flanderized, but I think that would have been a cool discussion for the two of them to have had because they do represent kind of versions of each other's disillusionment, yeah. I think.
1: I mean, I'm surprised that Acolytes has not been reused as a team name. As a, as in a book title? Per- not, I mean, I think that it would have been a cool title for Way of Acts. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, Yeah, Yeah. I mean, not necessarily even as a title, but just in the way that like Magic's team was called the Dark Riders or things like like that, they're reusing a lot of those. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Acolytes is just sort of begging for something that could be, you know, but maybe they're just haven't quite found what that is yet. Yeah, it
0: won't surprise you to know that That you would love love to write a book called Acolytes. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you would. (laughs) But also, like, the question that Way of X almost was going to ask, and I think actually sides to Patel. Of course, it has every right to do this, to tell a very different story. Is like, how actually would this experience change and derange real religious values? Yeah. For characters who were sincerely theorized. Characters
1: of faith. What does this do to them? Yeah.
0: Yeah. In the same way that it's a question that's in parallel to a question you sometimes ask on this podcast, which is like, Okay, now you're a citizen of Krakoa. What the fuck does that mean? Like, how does Danny Moonstar feel about being a citizen of Krakoa versus and or against her citizenships elsewhere, right? Right. Similarly, what does it mean to be part of a society where death is not the end of me? It forces characters to ask the question that I actually think you've purposely and for good reasons talked about before. As being troublesome, which is like, well, what about my soul? Right? Yeah, yeah, that's an issue. <laughs> like, that's not a question that maybe you or I think is an interesting question, but it is a question Nightcrawler. Well, it's would certainly find. a question Nightcrawler would find interesting, exactly. Yeah. Or that Rain would have, or
1: Sirea, and that's why I'm yeah. hoping that Sirea will continue into Legion of X as well, because I think that she and Kurt might have different perspectives on that that would be interesting.
0: And it's a question that Exodus has thought about. A lot. I think since the 12th century. yeah. Right? Like, as I said, that's kind of one of the main questions of the Renaissance. It's the question John Donne asks a lot. Yeah. Which is like the atomic age has begun in 1600. <laughs> we now know atoms exist. John Donne's immediate question is like, that means that when I go into the ground, the atoms that I'm made of may become parts of something else. So what is the resurrection? Is there a resurrection to come if part of me it's the question hamlet asks yeah. like, when he's holding the skull right like right. what does it mean to really confront death when like in a very funny and fascinating way resurrection actually forces a worse crisis of faith right. <laughs> than death ever does right <laughs>
1: because when you don't know what comes after death you can rationalize whatever you want that works with your faith when you have oh this person will reincarnate tomorrow at that yeah. treehouse what does that mean? And it'll mean? seem
0: just like them. Is it them? Is it
1: them? Right. Like, what the hell does that mean, right?
0: It's kind of a parallel question that never gets asked because it is such a, it is in many ways the liberalist fantasy, the utopia of Star Trek. Like, so the, tel- the transporter the oh, yeah. what exactly Oh, yeah, right. How does the mean? transporter right. work? Because it's really right. just
1: making a Xerox copy of you and that right.
0: would kill the first one. Yeah like Riker's double shows up and he's like actually what happened is you annihilated me and rebuilt me on the planet and we're both the same we're both me right yeah yeah or like what happens when someday they get it wrong the thing that x-factor is so worried about and like you resurrect somebody who didn't die and now there's two
1: I think they've already done it I think that Darwin is still alive in the vault
0: mmm yeah, that makes sense, right? Because like, you can't
1: really kill him, right? So, But
0: he'll be so different a person. But that's what I'm
1: saying, because like, it'll have been thousands yeah. of years, and now you have two of them, and who's the real one? And the answer is exactly. they both are, right? <laughs> yeah yeah that i think is a seed that's been planted and it's an
0: arbitrary line they've drawn in the sand right like
1: well that's the point of the discourse about gene and madeline the question is where is
0: the line you got there you you did it (laughs) i
1: led you by the nose i did did.
0: i was about to say it first it's true (laughs) that's what the whole debate about
1: gene and madeline is about versus the cuckoos
0: versus you're right gabby and laura it's like versus cable and strike exactly
1: who is a person Mm mm-hmm Is every gene we make in Arbor Magna an individual or are they all gene? That seems like they're all gene, but Madeline, who has unique experiences, is not gene.
0: Even though it's the same body. Even though it's the
1: same Same body, body. the same DNA, etc. And that's the question. And I think that inevitably there will be a story that deals with a mistake.
0: Yeah. And also like, what does your what does your absolute reality look like then? Like Is there even a way to even hope to adapt something like Christianity into this model? And that is why
1: I think that it did pivot away from what is mutant religion, because I think that taking it to that literal place would have been...
0: (laughs) Where it's like Jesus in Beyblades. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think it would have (laughs) (laughs) just...
1: It also, I think it would be asking a lot of one writer to determine how all of the you know it reminds me of Infinity Crusade where the goddess back in the 90s it was like Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, Infinity Crusade and Infinity Crusade which was the gay one was the one where the goddess the Lady Adam Uh, Warlock shows up. I had her trading card. I did too (laughs) because she was fabulous. (laughs) What she does is she's able to control all of the religious superheroes and mm. all of the atheist superheroes have to fight her. Jeez. It's a bizarre story, but it also is a bizarre story because it's like someone had to write down the names of all the Marvel characters <laughs>
0: right. and determine which ones believed in God. Right, enough for it to be... Enough like for the actual, goddess like, to be able level, to... Like, yeah, no, it's four like... Four and above your Exactly, <laughs> right. exactly.
1: It's like energy projection two, like faith in yeah, Jesus three, right? Yeah. So like... It's very. There's a. Yeah. There's this great cover. My Godmother would screen print like comic covers onto t-shirts for me sometimes because it was just Aww. like a, she was an art teacher one of them was this cover of infinity crusade where i can always picture it it's like storm and moon dragon are like two of like the ones who have fallen under the goddess's sway
0: because of the bright lady yes
1: because the bright lady
0: and like whatever
1: moon dragon does on titan i don't know <laughs> the
0: the dragon of the moon is that i don't a think she she doesn't belief? worship yeah, that yeah. possessed her i don't remember yeah. really but
1: <laughs> she's like a space buddhist <laughs> right right all the atheist characters are standing in the middle and Storm is up top like by the throne it goes, crush the infidels. Oh <laughs> no, yes! Yeah. So not a t-shirt this I is... would wear now. I think I didn't know what infidel meant. Um, but the point is, it's awkward. So I, I don't think we need Yeah, to I don't want answers. Like, exp- I don't want right. to see like
0: mutant G, I want
1: So, turning it into a book that's about mutant philosophy
0: through the lens of religious characters, I think, was the smarter (laughs) way to go. Philosophy in the Marvel comics. (laughs) I know, I do. (laughs) I mean, put Exodus and Nightcrawler on a beach together sounds like an interesting conversation yeah have them i i'd like to see them interact i would and if they kiss not a big i'm not gonna complain (laughs) i wouldn't hate that either i also
1: am i would love to see him talk to suraya like in a way that's actually not just like her invading his lungs and whatnot (laughs) ripping apart his lungs
0: Uh, he surely deserved it oh fully
1: fully well i think now is a good time to get into the listener questions Ooh. i was busy today and so i haven't sorted them so i'm just oh, gonna okay. pull them out of a hat and we're gonna see what happens <laughs> yeah. i'm excited about it Kavla delaney writes and Kavla is spelled c-o-b-h-l-a-i-t-h i love Kayoka. Oh. Kovler writes hello Connor and Anthony I'm super excited for this episode as I have no idea who Exodus is and I'm tired of <laughs> scratching my head whenever he shows up on Paddle in the Krakoa era LMAO who is this strange man my question is How does Exodus's cape compare to other Marvel characters? The Quiet Council has Magneto, Emma, Storm, and Sinister, all with excellent cape wrap. But how does Exodus hold up? How does it compare to other heroes in the wider Marvel universe? Thor, Strange, Doom, etc. If you want to get broad, Mm. what makes a good comic cape in general? Thanks for reading my question. And thank you, Connor, as always, for the wonderful community you've built for queer X fans like me. And also to Anthony for his early Thaw and Last annihilation stories, the former of which was incredibly oh, moving you. and cathartic. When Magneto placed his helmet down and went, Oh, Charles, it made me laugh and cry. And honestly, it became one of my favorite Magneto moments ever. So thank you, Kavla, she, they.
0: Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. That That story meant a lot to me. Um, It was uh, important for me to tell in a lot of ways, I think. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, part of what we're doing here, like part of what you do is part of that project is like, Actually, uh, there's a way to reclaim these spaces as queer, and there's a way to say that these stories have always been queer, right? They've always been ours. Yeah, exactly. As far as a cape goes, I definitely... Exodus is unique in that he actually comes from a period where a lot of people would be wearing capes, right, right like in the actual <laughs> historical moment, like it's just a yeah. thing that you would wear like he would have woken up and been like, "Oh, we're not doing capes anymore. <laughs> I know the capes
1: are it's like Celine waking up and being like nothing at all, none of the togas like she wants yeah. just to she wants a historical moment
0: exactly. I think that what's important about exodus's cape is it's very whorish like the white uh (laughs) there's a candidatus quality to it like there's a there's a like don't touch me like i'm stainless like the whiteness signifies to me in very important ways like it speaks to that that sort of breathtaking beauty thing that i was talking about it's very different than a dr doom cape where it's like the point is to be to like swaddle and to like protect like everything about dr doom is about hiding no
1: this is about showing off
0: Yes, exactly. It looks beautiful when he floats. Yeah.
1: And a white cape says something also about it's not just purity, it's also like being elite in the same way that Emma wearing Mm -hmm. white is elite. Because the thing about wearing white, and this is why wedding dresses became white in the West, is because it's purely a signifier of wealth. Mm -hmm. Because white fabric stains, (laughs) right? So you're never going to wear that dress again. And similarly, if you're walking around in a luxe white cape, it means that you can afford to buy a new one when you inevitably get flat-scan <laughs> blood all over it.
0: Yes. Yeah. So
1: that is sort of the, the signifier there. I think that what's interesting with Exodus is that his cape is sort of part of a general drapery thing he has going.
0: Like, he mm-hmm. has kind of like a, a sash and he's interested in fabric in a way that yeah this is what i was talking about with the 90s thing like most male 90s superheroes are just kind of in they're in just like a spandex they're in just like a tight look right. at their muscles and then maybe they have some pouches on or some shoulder pads. and the
1: villains tend to be in like armor like strife like they're hard exactly
0: like compare his design to holocaust design, yeah and you it tells you a lot about what is like what the semiotics of that look are about like it's impracticality is, like, as much as Mr. Sinister makes fun of his shoulder pads, the impracticality is the point, right? Like, there is kind of, like, a a church tradition behind yes. this Yes, and
1: it's like what I say about how I don't like Jean Grey in armor. Like, I don't like any of those mm. armor looks on her. Like the X-Men red look. Yeah, I don't like it. It's too bulky because the thing is, Jean Grey should not need to wear armor. Jean mm. Grey's mind is her armor yeah. in that yeah. way she's that powerful that yeah she can. i mean like and if you don't i'm not we're not gonna get into the dress but if she wants to walk <laughs> around in, in like chic fashion is what i'm saying right. she should because yeah. she doesn't need armor her telekinesis can do that exodus doesn't have a hair out of place because he's an omega level telekinetic like he doesn't need armor. He
0: can afford to, he doesn't have to worry about you ripping out his earring. It's not gonna happen. Right. Exactly. You're not gonna touch, it's the same as like the other person I think of with this is Rogue in Bloomingdale's, right? Like, yeah. She can just wear off the rack. Because, right. Like, what does she need an armor for? She's not gonna She's indestructible, it, so, right. Yeah. And that's kind of what Exodus is doing. He is his lack of practicality itself proclaims.
1: Yeah, and I would say that the cape itself is less the note than the wings, like the gold mm. epaulette things that he had. It, it, right. it looks like Idea from Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> it's just this huge, ornate, yeah, very Renaissancey kind of church thing.
0: It looks like a god coming on stage in an opera. Like, right. It's meant to say, like, holy shit, like, God is talking now. Right? And like, he's so
1: powerful that he can fight the X-Men while wearing that, and they don't get, like, snapped off. Like, it's just exactly. his outfit, and it's fine. And that's why it doesn't work, honestly, in the aughts when he pops up, and he just looks like a dude. You're kind of like... A dude with, like, a cape. Yeah, yeah you're like, like no, that's not the that's look. That's not the yeah. look. At least Carrie gives him the thigh boots back,
0: because I think the thigh boots are really essential. He's actually supposed to be so striking... His first appearance we didn't even talk about is in X Factor. Yeah, and he doesn't even speak. No, he just
1: shows up and says
0: nothing. And they're all like, <laughs> Who kind the, of the fuck a is Poochie that?" Moment, yeah, where it's like, "Do you have something to say, Pucci?" So he doesn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> like he has said it just by appearing, right? Like right. It's kind of, there is supposed to be like an enunciational, like "Be not afraid," angel moment happening. Yeah, right? like really, I guess that's what those gold things are supposed to evoke, right? Is like. Right, the Gothic stained glass angel kind of thing, yeah,
1: it's like a halo, it looks it's kind of like a headdress kind of moment, like it's not clear, yeah. it like comes out of his shoulder pads, but
0: it's it's very cool, honestly, yeah, I also like that he has no headgear, like magneto is so about a helmet, but here it's almost the absence. it's like
1: look at it's, this arch, yeah. this like delicate arch over my head that is uncovered because I don't need to wear armor. <laughs>
0: You know, exactly. yeah. What are you gonna do? You can't invade my mind, yeah.
1: And that's part of why I think the poll to put him on the council. I bet a good fifty percent of it was just that guy looks so fucking cool. He does. Like, let's he just looks... put him in these group shots because he looks radical.
0: He also, his like oozing contempt for sinister is so, it's so like, funny. Like when, <laughs> at the end of Aliens where he's like, let him, let her hit him again. Yeah. <laughs> I like
1: when, when Storm's like, give her another, and then Nexus like, is like,
0: agreed. <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm going to miss Hellions so much. That book was so, oh, so What a great good. book. I mean, I, I'm glad that I think that it will be an all timer because it has this set length that
0: is really yeah. tight, but I am going to miss it. And it's it. really accomplished. Like you start at the beginning where it's like, I don't fucking care about these people. And at the end, it's like, you're I like, I would I die, would die <laughs> for <laughs> Nanny and the Orphan Maker. I right, I know. I would die for
1: Nanny. <laughs> Zabwell is one of truly the best in the biz. And. I mean, the Madeline of it all. I can't because we'll be here for (laughs) hours. Teal writes, Hi, Connor and Anthony. My questions are pretty silly because most of what I recall about the Crusades is about St. Louis, boring, or from movies. But here goes. Do you all think Benet (laughs) ever slept with Richard Plantagenet?
0: (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Oh, like an Angevine. Oh,
1: Did he think Eleanor of Aquitaine was a tacky slut?
0: No, he would have loved Eleanor of Aquitaine. I agree. He would have died for Eleanor of Aquitaine. And what
1: movie tangentially involving the Crusades does he prefer? The Lion in Winter, Disney's Robin Hood, or Nightcrawler's beloved Errol Flynn, Robin Hood? (laughs) Thank you, Teal. I think that The Lion in Winter is a very exodus. The Lion in Winter is his favorite movie. Yeah, that's very exodus. He also absolutely stanned Eleanor of Aquitaine. Did he fuck Richard Plantagenet is my question.
0: This is the thing I started at the top with, like, the fact that he's the Grand Duke of Paris means he could literally basically be Timothy Dalton in that movie. Right. (laughs) Like, 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 that's the level we would be talking about. And I think that's a good vibe for him. Like, Timothy Dalton circa 1968 is probably like a super excellent way to imagine Exodus as a character. Just like, hot extremely gay but you feel like you cannot sleep with him like that is (laughs) correct like he actually looks even though he's older timothy dalton in his time lord look from doctor who where he's Uh well
1: exodus does have a very like time lord aesthetic
0: that like a swoopy like headdress that they wear the shoulders yeah yeah he would love Lion in Winter. He would not think Eleanor of Aquitaine was tacky. He might have fought with her in the Crusades because she did go on Crusade a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I think when she's uh, in Lion in Winter, she talks about being bare-breasted like an Amazon as she's marching on Jerusalem. Yes. He would love her. He would watch the Disney Robin Hood and have the same like, huh, do I have a crush on this fox moment? I think that every gay boy had. <laughs> he's probably learning he might be an incipient furry right now i think i don't know i think that i would be interested in thinking about like is he defrostable like could you imagine exodus dating could exodus like get (laughs) horned up at some point yeah it's an interesting question like does he know how to relax now that he can like if krakoa really is the fulfillment of everything he dreamed Could he hook up with somebody? And who would that be is an interesting question. Well,
1: someone did write in with a question. Oh. And actually, now I'll just pull that up now because I did have it. Mike Chu writes, who should Exodus kiss? Alternatively, who do you want to see Exodus kiss? Thanks, Turtle Power.
0: Well, what does he need? Uh, He needs fun. (laughs) He needs, he needs
1: fun, he, flirty, sassy.
0: But he needs someone who can like shush him like a horse, right? Like he's a very anxious <laughs> character. What would like, that be like? <laughs> I'm projecting now. <laughs> I couldn't possibly imagine what it's like to date that person. Like as much as my instinct is like, let's hook him up with Bobby. It's like that wouldn't work. No. are so the same at the end of the day, which sounds so weird to say, but like, they are both so they just need to sh- a minute to shut down you know like um oh boy like he would be very jealous of what juggernaut and black tom I have. was just thinking think that like he would look at that with a certain amount of envy mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well cuz if that's like? the
1: brother in arms yeah. things he had with A. yeah
0: that's what he needs yeah for better or worse i do think he kind of has a mask problem that would be like a uh, masc where he's like yes uh like he he comes from an age where, but that might be good for him. Straight sort of acting date. only, yeah, it yeah. Definitely maybe is. He, maybe he needs to learn that that's okay.
1: Honestly, like if Daken wasn't going out with Aurora right now, I feel like that could be fun.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it would be fun. It'd be an, an it odd couple thing. No, they wouldn't like <laughs> date,
1: but it would be a fun like romp. Like a moment, but
0: I don't think he can just have a romp. Like no, I think he would no, catch, you're right. You're would right. catch feelings so fast. No, you're right. You're <laughs> right. It's like I have not felt this,
1: yeah, since centuries ago. And Dawkins just like I, um, I have stuff I gotta do. I'm not really gonna stay over. You know
0: what? I, I think I have an answer. Because I was about to say the problem we're hitting is there's no older gay guys. Yeah. And I now realize the exact character that would be perfect. Is the one he was so cruel to in basically his first appearance, which is Pyro. Like, I think. Oh, that really, really
1: yeah.
0: Like, what if you learned that the thing you had just said, like, that's tainted and, like, that's too faggoty and that's too much. Right. You and, like, the amorality of Pyro would be good for yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> right? And think of the
1: accents together.
0: Yeah, they'd be cute, and like he'd be. I mean, I don't know if he can blush when he's magenta, but he's like, very pink. Reading those romance novels, like well, because those are probably very him. scandalous for Exodus. Yeah, Pyro would embarrass him. He'd like he'd like put like a big heart over the beach while everyone's there. Like it would oh, just. Oh, I love him. this. <laughs> I think that's who I would ship him with.
1: Mm, now I want it. <laughs>
0: They could adopt. That would be fine.
1: <laughs> I don't want to give anybody a baby. I'm over
0: it. Oh, but he wants a kid so I bad. I know. Ad- <laughs> uh, they c- adopt
1: a 12-year-old. There are all these Genosha <laughs> yeah, kids. Oh, yeah. No,
0: he would want. it should be an older. It should be one of Just the kids. Just someone. That, I
1: like, I beg. Only give superheroes children if they can be real characters. Please. We do not need to they be could trapped.
0: Adopt, they could adopt a Noli or something. <laughs> I mean,
1: somebody has to. <laughs> 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 Justin Park writes, hi, Connor and Anthony. Hey, Justin. This episode feels like a special treat for me personally because the first letter I ever sent to Cerebro was in response to your Iceman episode. In that letter, I happened to express some general confusion about Exodus, so Connor told me not to worry about it and that he would get to him in episode 57 or
0: whatever. <laughs> I've been eagerly waiting ever since. Wow. And was thrilled a to hear little but not that much. that
1: Anthony would be returning as the episode guest. For anyone keeping score, episode 57 ended up being about Surya with the iconic Dr. Khaled Anas, which is very funny given Surya's history of knocking Exodus on his bright magenta ass. And honestly, <laughs> love that for her. Without further ado, given the religious illusions in Exodus's backstory and his own diva tendencies, what would be Exodus's favorite song from the soundtrack of Jesus Christ Superstar and why? Or if that's too specific, what would be his go-to musical theater audition song?
0: Thanks, Justin. My initial instinct was the first one because it expresses so much about his own experience. What is the opening? The Judas song? Um... Heaven on Their Minds. Yes, so my initial instinct is heaven on their minds because it's all about exactly the kind of the theme of disillusionment I've been talking about where it's like, I used to believe in this and now you've gone too far and now I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know what any of this means, but actually the answer is I don't know how to love him. I was going to say that, yeah. (laughs) That song would knock him on his ass. The reprise that Judas sings, that would wreck him. That's his audition song. And it would, be the, it would be the reprise bit that Judas does after he betrays him and before he hangs himself. Um, that's my... Is that
1: the whole question? <laughs> I'm picturing him in the Acolytes, like, sort of gadding about doing... It's spell, not Jesus Christ Superstar, but, like, mm. Oh, bless the Lord, my soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In heaven to be proclaimed. But it's, like, Magneto stuff. Like, they're sort of, like, waving <laughs> Magneto banners. <laughs> and he would all love City of Men me from Godspell.
0: If you're looking for... Listen... Google Hunter Parrish singing City of Man. That's really good. For Obelisk
1: Learned My Soul, look up the original cast member, Lynn Thigpen, later the chief, on Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego.
0: Oh, yeah. The iconic yeah. Lynn
1: Thigpen, cousin to my friend Raven Thigpen, who Tony has met.
0: I have met. Oh, yeah. how is Raven?
1: She's well, actually. She's doing Hi, Raven. Well. We should all reunite at some point. And that would be so fun. Oh, I miss her. <laughs> Brian Houston writes, Hello, Connor and Anthony. I'm looking forward to this episode just to see how much you both show off your classical educations. Ruby
2: oh, be- no.
0: <laughs> Clocked red to oh, fill. Got me. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Benny,
1: do you think I can call him Benny, is without a doubt one of the most powerful mutants in the world.
0: Pyro would call him Benny.
1: But he just never seems to get shit done. Why do you think he's such an underachiever, given his power level? I mean, he led a Brotherhood of Evil Mutants that heavily featured Mama Max. That might be okay for the Toad <laughs> Brotherhood, but it's just pathetic for any supposedly major player. Second question, if you have time. It was established in Black Knight Exodus that Apocalypse enhanced Benny's power level during the Crusades, but later punished him for being unworthy. Have we ever seen Apocalypse and Exodus reference their relationship in modern times? As always,
0: make mine Cerebro. Uh, I guess the second question first because I don't think they have. I don't think they have, which is weird. I don't. I don't know if most writers know. It's like it's again. (laughs) It's this very
1: obscure Black Knight and Cersei story. It's like not.
0: It's not something you would see in
1: like an X Men reading list a lot of the time. You know what I mean? And it's
0: it's quite confusing. Like evoke even if writers know it, it, evoking it is so confusing for a reader. So
1: confusing.
0: It's risky to do because at this
1: point, at this point, it's like who are the Black Knight and Cersei? Like they had to be explainers (laughs) for the Eternals
0: movie because people forgot about these characters. Yeah, and even it's not even the real Black Knight. It's an ancestor of the Black Knight. So it's messy. I think, though, that we should read his hostility to Sinister as being undergirded by, by that. the fact that they're both the stepchildren of Apocalypse.
1: Yeah, that they're right. his, they're like, they're in Sabiner's boys and they yeah, have they're sibling like, rivalries. <laughs> yeah, it's like dad didn't want us because he's truly just always looking for the bigger, better deal with a new son. And Warren was the one, I mean, in terms yeah. of like... You know, I'm not crazy about Uncanny X Force, but if you want to look at Apocalypse, turned one of them into an Apocalypse freak, and he's everything Apocalypse ever wanted. It's Warren in exactly. that Uncanny X Force stuff,
0: and they're they're at odds, right? He rejects Exodus for being too good and Sinister for being too bad. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, um, uh What was the first question?
1: The first bit was why doesn't he get anything done? He's so he, like, oh, he's really not very good at accomplishing yeah. things. I
0: think my read, maybe yours is different, but my read is that is uniquely i think in the x-men pantheon a character who is very powerful but doesn't know how to act on his own very well like mm-hmm. he's a great canon for someone else to wheel out and he knows that about himself and he doesn't as much as he he really does want to follow someone who he can respect I think that's why he's so drawn to destiny, right? Like, yeah,
1: because destiny, the thing about destiny that's nice is like all that Bene de Paris wants is some kind of objective reality of God, right? That like <laughs> someone can tell him, this is the meaning of life and this is your place
0: in the world. Yes, And exactly. that is
1: destiny's power.
0: Yes, exactly. I don't think anything would make him happier, which is very funny that he tried to kill her granddaughter. <laughs> I know, but you
1: know... Sometimes you can't make an
0: omelette. Yeah, she
1: would understand. Also, like, blindfold, god lover, not super helpful if you're trying to have things explained to you. Right. <laughs> I'm excited that she's coming back, though. I think that that character back in Burger's hands is an exciting development. Yeah,
0: she deserves, I mean, her ending is so... That was rough. So ugly that I really, I really want, I just, I feel bad for characters who get endings that are that... Yeah, cruel, you mm-hmm. know, like it's a... You know, the one that I always want to... I would
1: die to do something with Threnody because that character got so uh, screwed. Yeah. And I think she's great.
0: And I mean, life screws people. I'm not it suggesting... It does, and I think it's
1: okay, but like <laughs> you, you have to find a way to... But
0: we're in an era of happier endings. Yeah, think, and even for... if it's
1: not like a happy ending, find something productive to do with these characters. That's yeah. of how I feel about it. But, but anyway...
0: He, yeah, he, he wants... That's the answer. He wants... He wants, like, that's what he does. Like, it's what he does to Xavier. He's like, please tell me what to do. It's what he does to Magneto. It's what he does. He's constantly looking for the thing that can lead him. That's the revelation he has during the trial of Neophyte, where he's like, fuck, these people don't respect me. These people
1: have no respect for me at all. And he has to tell them everything's coming from Magneto or they won't listen to him. Which I think that's very dispiriting. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's funny because everyone, including these comments, are like, about what a wet blanket he is. And it's like, it's kind of the point of the character is he just doesn't have that charisma that he really wishes he had. Yeah. It's why Pyro would be a good match for him because he's over chariz- charismatic. It's right? true. It's
1: true. <laughs> it's true. Riley Daniels writes, most esteemed of returning guests and exalted of hosts. Unlike a lot of centuries or millennia old characters, Exodus spent most of his 800 years alive sealed away from the world. How much has <laughs> this damaged him that he was imprisoned for not killing his friend? His friend. Friend. Does he harbor (laughs) resentment toward the long lived mutants and others who actually got to live their lives as good or as difficult as they may have been? As ever, all my love for the show and the community that you foster around it, especially in the Discord server. Hey, I'm Riley. Hey. (laughs) Part of the problem with this character and part of why this episode is more of a vibe is like, what is (laughs) Exodus thinking? We don't usually know. Yeah. You know, he's not a character that gets a lot of introspective time or a lot of interiority, he's mostly just an antagonist. Yeah, I would think he has the Captain America problem, but even more shocking. I mean, can you imagine Uh, just emerging into 1993? Because I can't. (laughs) And I was there.
0: (laughs) It's interesting we've been talking about vampires because the one we haven't mentioned that actually I think is a good way to think of Exodus is Armand from Yeah uh, Interview with the Vampire? Absolutely. Like, I mean, Antonio Banderas in that movie would actually be great. I actually was thinking Exodus. that earlier when
1: we were we were talking about <laughs> like where is he from. I was like he could be like Spanish and could be yeah Antonio Banderas literally was my first thought.
0: <laughs> but that energy is like Armand has that amazing speech where he says, um, "You would be stunned how few people have the." durability or the endurance for immortality yes which is kind of one of the great themes of that first book is like eventually immortality kind of does rob you of what it means to be anything like a human being and of course this is also speaking to the way those books are about being queer right like right like like that there is a kind of The anxiety of the '90s vampire craze is like: is there something deathless about being gay? (laughs) Is kind of one of the things that those books and so many of those other things are processed. Well, and
1: they're all about like the damnation too of like God rejecting you, like the sun
0: rejects you. That's God saying you can't exist in the day. What's the thing Darla says to Angel? Like God didn't want you.
1: That's the thing, Angel. God doesn't (laughs) want you, but I
0: still do. Yes, so good. Julia Benz is so good. <laughs> and that's kind of the exodus thing. Like, as much as he went to sleep, I kind of think the nature of his trauma is such that he doesn't care because part of him died that day anyway. Yeah. When when Aobar kind of rejects him and then he still chooses him over Apocalypse.
1: God, what a fucking gay loser. I mean, I get it, <laughs> but like... <laughs> my god that's
0: the thing is like he's kind of like well that's it right like there's a way he goes into that tomb and he didn't it's kind of strange to him to kind of figure out how he's gonna come back he doesn't have the captain america problem in that he doesn't care to assimilate right he doesn't right?
1: want like, to yeah i just meant the culture shock of like where yeah, am but i but he's not trying no right? like, that's he's what just what kind of walking on his drapery and his little boots and he's just like you know
0: Yeah. He was the scion of a different age. He was meant to be the guide to the Renaissance, and then he missed the Renaissance. Well, that's the thing is you do feel like
1: (laughs) my grandfather, my dad's dad, he had a very funny perspective on homophobia, which was that he was like, well, obviously, you know, that's not good. But, you know, if they hadn't felt that way, we wouldn't have Da Vinci. Like, nobody invents things unless they're gay and (laughs) oppressed for it. So...
0: I mean, in the long run
1: <laughs> but that's kind of the the vibe here is that like he would have yeah. been this tortured thinker or artist or philosopher or something and then instead he's just a guy in a box
0: yeah it's uh he just
1: becomes like a kinder egg for someone to pull out in the 90s you know <laughs>
0: exactly. yeah there is a, i mean cuz he did miss it that troubles me to hear because it speaks to my own experience right like the critique that is often made of my art is like this is i sometimes feel like I guess Americans don't have this, but in Canada, there was an event called the Halifax Explosion in like 1917 or whatever. There's this book we all have to read in high school where it's like, there's kids pointing at people being like, you shouldn't point because that's from the explosion. And there's a part of me that feels like as a queer person, like all my art is like, look at these scars, kids. (laughs) Like, look what happened to me. Like, I barely survived this thing and now let me tell you about it. And there's a way where my great fear is like, well, do people want to hear about that anymore? Like, do these kids who get to come out to their parents with balloons? It's kind of the anxiety behind when I write Iceman. Is like, yeah.
1: Well, because Iceman missed it, much the way Exodus missed, missed it. it. Like, exactly. he missed it. And,
0: exactly. And, like... I'm, I mean, you missed it, too. Exodus? That's the
1: thing. Not to be... I mean, like, not to... No, I don't want to talk but... about your business on a podcast, but...
0: <laughs> well, I mean, what else are we doing? I, I know, but, but I'm just...
1: I, I, you're someone who... It took you a long time to be happy mm-hmm. <laughs> about that.
0: Yeah, and it was not without its damage on the way out, right? Like, the, the parental relationships and the friendships, and obviously, in my like, I went to an all-boys Catholic school, right? Like, there's a way that one of the reasons this character speaks to me is because he also has a moment where it's like, well, fuck, all the things I thought were true aren't true. Like, that seems to have been the crisis even before Aobar, even before, right. like, the stuff we're coding as queer. Like, that's what happened to him on Crusade, right? It's like, fuck, like... He went on the Crusades and he was like, this sucks, actually. Actually, this sucks. And actually, this the crown and the cross I'm serving are garbage. Now what? And now what? Like, how do you... Is there a way to recover from that? And I do think... Like, I used the term frigid earlier. I don't think, like... I think that this character has been in trauma mode for so long that i don't know it would be fun to imagine his next act right like can you unclench after all that is an interesting question now i'm obsessed with the idea of him like going on that stupid fucking boat with pyro again (laughs) oh god
1: i'm into that yeah i am i also think it would be interesting to have him talk to somnus the new character Because Mm. that's someone who also like missed it, but in the literal sense of like missed gay rights and now you're back. And like that's the point (laughs) of that story, right? And for Exodus, it's like he missed the enlightenment. Like he missed a lot of stuff that I think He could
0: have fucked Da Vinci. Yeah. Like
1: (laughs) you know fucked
0: Michelangelo under the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. Yeah. Like He missed all of gay renaissance, actually. Yeah so it's funny like he could have he could have fucked christopher marlowe and william shakespeare on the same weekend yeah like. god you could have probably got ben johnson in on there too if you played your cards right
1: now i'm sad <laughs> now we need we need to just let exodus have a time travel journey where he experiences all of these things he didn't get to do because he was locked up in switzerland
0: he's just like at a pride parade like neutral face with like uh garland of flowers being thrown over his stupid epilets. (laughs) Just like like some queer kid hanging off them. Yeah, no, and they're all just like, respect gay
1: elders. He's from the 12th (laughs) century.
0: You don't know what this guy's been. I mean, this also goes back again to what we talked about off at the beginning, which is like, in a very strange and askew way, he's very much a character of the 90s. Yeah. He does bespeak the trauma for queer people of the early 90s of like, well, fuck, like the thing we thought was going to happen didn't happen. And the world has turned on us. Mm-hmm. Now what? And there is a kind of way that a person can get stuck in that. Um, that I think his
1: revulsion it. at the legacy virus, I think, is very yes. much. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think that's resonant, you know?
0: Yeah, and it's not an accident that he reemerges. He reemerges as a vital character during the Legacy Virus, and then and then the Decimation. decimation right. right? Yeah, that's exactly why.
1: Kat Driscoll writes, "Hi Connor and Anthony. After the Strife Hi. episode, I admit I'm really looking forward for you both to convince me to care more about this character. He's totally great, <laughs> just not the type of character I usually gravitate toward." Two questions for you. One, do you think there's a way to incorporate Exodus into any of the other world plot lines? Considering his backstory, it seems like it'd be a really cool fit for him. Two, what do you think his opinions on bardcore are? Do you think he'd be into it or would he feel like it was an insult to the medieval bops of his youth? Love the pod. Looking forward to hearing both of your thoughts on this character for this merry special season's greetings, Cat Driscoll. I think he would find all ironic music to be annoying.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He probably misses a good, like, jingle bell sound. Uh, (laughs) misses a (laughs) lute. I don't think he's physically capable of irony, is kind of the funny thing about him. Like, he's kind of... I always think of that episode of The Simpsons where Krusty is, like, running out the door and he explains a principle of comedy I think about a lot, which is that it's only funny if the guy getting hit in the face with a pie has dignity. Yes. And then he he hits... um, he hits sideshow Bob in the face. He says, "Oh dear!" And his hat pops off. Like, <laughs> there's a way that like Kelsey Grammer or like uh, David Hyde Pierce have the same energy as Exodus, where it's like great dignity, incapable of facing irony. Sounds right to me. Like, I think he would cry at an opera. Like, I think you could take him to like a symphony. Sure, and, like, yeah. Lose his mind. But I just
1: feel like any kind of popular music, he's just like no,
0: no. No, that would be hard. Yeah. I think he's very. Conf- I think he's very confused when they have their Krakow and dance parties. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he's Absolutely, he stares at. I mean, it's funny that he dated Dazzler because I can't imagine him listening to a Dazzler. I pack. love.
1: <laughs> like, were they just asked to ask? Like, what was the?
0: <laughs> she can top
1: Dazzler. Pegging Exodus is the AOA. <laughs> <laughs> Age of anal,
0: yeah, definitely. It's definitely the. It's specifically the Kylie Minogue video from the the Galavant season two. Sure, the gay bar. Like, yeah, yeah. She she can touch. She can, t- she can uh, top a with gay it boy shirt. for sure. I'd let her top me. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> what was the first part? There was another part of that question. Uh,
1: the first part the was yes. The first part was the world story. Do we think it would be cool? Oh. I, here, so here's how I feel about it. I think that it would be cool to involve him in the King Arthur and Camelot stuff, but I wouldn't want to do it via the Excalibur story. I would want to do it via the stuff Cy has been doing with Black Knight. I think that mm. you have Dane and Exodus come face to face again. That yeah, would be cool. Oh I would love to see Faizer Hussein talk to Exodus. I just would be into, yeah, all that,
0: especially since I think the implication at the end of the story is that Dane's new face is Aobar's old face, like it's the same face, mm-hmm. right. So when he meets the Black Knight, because that's why the Black Knight recognizes him. Yes.
1: Because, yeah, before we get the flashback, there's a weird moment where it's clear that Dane and Exodus have history together. So the flashback issue is them filling in that story yeah there's a lot of that in the 90s where it's just like ah this new villain i have a history with that like wolverine does that constantly <laughs> right. and it's just those are just for other writers it's also to very fill in at they some don't point. know what the fuck the no story it's completely be. Yeah. just like we're gonna leave that for later they still haven't filled in how gambit and frenzy know each other which is something niciasa right. threw in And the implication, I think, is that they were, you know, lovers at one point, but that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, but that's hilarious. And I want that story. Give me X Men Legends (laughs) Gambit and Frenzy, because that would be wild.
0: She also probably topped him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Come on. (laughs) But
1: that's why, actually, in Age of X, it's nice that with Cyclops Basilisk in that world, she Mm -hmm. feels that she can be submissive. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Anyway, I don't know. Frenzy's a cool character. That is an underrated episode. Mike Carey coming on to talk about Frenzy. I really Oh,
0: love that, that was one. great. I, I really loved hearing love talk episode. about this era. I really it's interesting rereading his stuff. Like it like I really did think that uh, what is it, an uncan what is it, an annual? That first Exodus story for endangered species after the decimation. That's like what a what a way to reboot a character mm-hmm. like that opening and just being like him pulling apart that sentinel. He has that great speech we didn't talk about where he's like, in my day before a man put on armor, he would fast and pray. You don't even deserve sackcloth. And he tears apart the Sentinel and removes the one agent inside. So good. <laughs> so good. Fuck <laughs> the O-N-E. Sentinel Ugh, the Squad 1. Fuck you. Truly the worst because it felt like they were trying to convince us those were worthwhile people. That they were heroes. Yeah. Ugh. 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 Ugh.
1: Ugh. This is why I just can't fuck with the Avengers. When War Machine is helping them set up Sentinel Squad ONE, I'm just like, no, not (laughs) not. happening.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's what he's a great little pivot point to deal with the Avengers because of the Black Knight stuff, right?
1: Yeah, Exodus is. I think that that would be a cool, just a, a nice bit of remember this, remember? I mean, like, or you know what? God knows Quicksilver doesn't have anything to do. And the problem is that the Magneto, like, now that. Now that Trial of Magneto has reestablished them as a family, whether or not they're biologically his children, like you we're just, mm-hmm. just hand-waving it, like just, you know, Big Dwight, yeah. I feel like Exodus and Quicksilver could interact again in a way that would be, because he was like yeah. Quicksilver's nemesis for a while there, he was just constantly trying to kill oh, yeah. Quicksilver's daughter, it was like a weird recurring beat. <laughs> you know, all these stories I literally <laughs> had never
0: read until we were
1: preparing for this episode, because they're Avengers stories that I did not even know existed.
0: I I mean obviously because I have an interest. I think it's interesting that Wanda has two children that Exodus has not interacted with yet. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a lot of fun. That would one be one of whom is a gay little wizard. True <laughs>
1: facts. Ryan Rains writes, "Hello, Cotter and Anthony, longtime listener, first time asker. Hey, I'll admit I'm not the biggest Exodus head, but from what I've read, he's a self righteous, sexually frustrated power bottom who terrorizes the world because the Black Knight ghosted him in the 12th century."
0: that's correct, yeah. Do y'all think he's (laughs) just overdue
1: for a ho phase on Krakoa, which would solve most of his problems? Why or why not? He does literally have a praise kink as his mutant power. As we
0: pointed out, (laughs) we think that may be a continuity error brought on by Wikidrip,
1: but you never know.
0: I think so. I do, as I've I've said, he catches feelings too fast, like, defrost him too fast and he will fall in love with you. Right. The concern I have about a ho phase. Yeah.
1: if so, who do you all think he'd be hooking up with? Granted, if anyone would want to. Also, I can only imagine he had some encounter with Celine back in his Crusader days where she annoyed the absolute shit out of him. Thank you so much for creating this community where <laughs> queer X fans can chat about these crazy, wonderful characters. That's not something I get a lot living in Arkansas. Hope all is well. Best regards, Ryan Reigns. Well, I hope all is well in Arkansas. Yeah. I like the pyro idea. Uh-huh. I also do think that like, he and Sinister maybe should just bang it out.
0: I just don't think anyone should go to here. I can't imagine sinister. Do you think he's like sexually capable? I like, think I with
1: his own
0: clones. Oh yeah, Oh that's actually. I think that might be canon as yeah. a Gillen run. Yeah. Like, That city of sinisters living under San Francisco. Yeah, I mean... All, like, having this Victorian LARP together. But, like, also, like, (laughs) here we are in the Castro, all of us together, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that that's where he is now. I, as you said, I think correctly, the Magneto thing is not sexual. The apocalypse thing is sketched so quickly that I don't think it is, but I do think the evocativeness of its parallel to Richter is interesting. He and Richter could hook up as like a one time like comfort thing, except Richter has Shatterstar again, so yeah, I don't know. And I don't think he would steal Richter's man. I don't think he and Shatterstar would work.
1: No, that I mean, he he needs. Uh, there must be someone on Araco mm.
0: who I don't know, another old soldier like him. Yeah, right?
1: yeah. Who is like through the Emmonth War, you know, like and <laughs> yes. they can bond over that. <laughs> Dylan King writes. Hey Connor, I've fallen back in love with the pod all over again and been subjecting myself to an embarrassing number of hours with your voice in my ear. Much love to you, Mr. Oliveira. Regarding Exodus, we've seen him as a mentor or advisor, first with the Acolytes, then later with Elixir, and now with the youth of Krakoa. What do you think makes him so compelling as an individual that he's able to successfully captivate and hold sway over these audiences?
0: I do think he's a good teacher. I think that's a true thing about him. Because it is Jonathan Hickman, I do think a lot of those beach scenes get coded as sinister quality. Like there's something insidious about him talking to those kids. But I do think in general, he he's patient. He doesn't have actually a lot of ego and those are good qualities to have as a teacher. I think he, in the same way that he looks to someone to lead, he wants to impart the skills he has and recognizes he wants to be surpassed I think mm-hmm. is something he's interested in. I think it's why hope excited him as a character, like the Messiah baby, where it's like, finally, like it can happen again. I think that's why that keeps happening. I think as we've said, he doesn't lead well. He's the kind of substitute teacher that would be easy to overwhelm. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I really like, there's a beat in New Mutants, wasn't there? where He's trying to like, the kids are talking about the Shadow King. He's like, pardon? Like what? Like, 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 excuse me?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I liked the, bit in New Mutants where he's just like, hey, Doug, I should do this because you'll die. <laughs> right, right, You fucking idiot. Like, I don't know. There's just something about him being like, why does no one... I, I, I did the Crusades. I'm like a whole... Yeah. Like, it, it does feel... I complained in the Celine episode, like, in character as Celine, that like, you guys never ask me anything. I know all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and, you know, like... <laughs> I feel like Exodus also is like, why is nobody asking me to, to help with anything?
0: Yeah. There's a line in um one of Milton's poems where he says, they also serve who stand and wait. And like I think that Exodus has really internalized that philosophy mm-hmm. of like, I'll just be the good soldier and I will wait until the perfect moment where my life will have meant, the meaning will finally suffuse through my life as I perform the great act I was meant to perform I think that he's, he's willing to be patient about it.
1: I'm looking through the other questions we got, and a lot of them I'm proud to say we've already touched on. So, for example, Donovan Atkinson writes, Dear Connor Anthony, presuming you read Blood Ties for this episode, is Crystal wearing a Kirby hat, or is that her hair? <laughs> Thanks for the podcast. Donovan, we've sort of covered this. I think that it is supposed to be a Kirby hat, but it's usually drawn as hair,
0: and we just don't I, know. No. So I think it's like if you took headphones and put them at the back of your head and you imagine that it curved up forward from your face to enclose your hair. That's
1: Mm -hmm. what I think it's
0: doing. Like a Lobot moment. Yeah, (laughs) love, love (laughs) a Lobot moment. Cloud City represent. Yeah. She lives up in the sky sometimes. Jacob Kruger writes,
1: "Dear Connor, an esteemed guest. I was excited to hear that Exodus had come up in the queue and had to get a question about this most fabulously dressed, overpowered mess of a character whose purple personality we love to see. <laughs> While these days he's become Krakoa's most ardent zealot, his first appearances and the promise of his character never really seemed to fully deliver. I've never felt yeah. that writers have gotten to the why of Benedict Dupree. Visually, he's so distinct from the other acolytes. Plus, his appearance without any kind of significant backstory for years, it feels like something with Exodus was thrown at the wall and maybe didn't stick. Is there anything?" to this? Has there been wind of an undeveloped exodus story or plot that might better explain the why of him? If there isn't one, what might be a story you'd tell about this strange time-lost mutant crusader? (laughs) To make it make a little more sense. Thanks so much for this podcast in the Discord. I've been listening and lurking since the early days. The depth and quality of the discussions and the queer family have all made it feel like such a safe and warm place to land in these continuously uncertain times. Regards, Jake K. Well, thank you. That's very sweet. That's very kind. I don't know of any plans for the character that weren't realized. I do feel like there must have been something in the Krakoa era that got cut for time because he's so conspicuously of all the council members has not had anything to do Mm. but in terms of like back in the day I don't think so I think he was just like a cool design they threw out and it's clearly a sketch they
0: all passed around and they were like like, this "This is is the new guy who works for Magneto put him in your book and it's like X Factor they're like do you have anything to say it's like no bye completely (laughs) silent
1: I think part of it is that They seemed to me very confused throughout the 90s with what they wanted to do with Magneto, especially as writing teams kept shifting and changing over. I think that honestly, like the big thing for Exodus is that Joseph plot that we skipped over because it doesn't matter because Joseph doesn't matter.
0: So His listlessness is part of his story, right? Like Magneto goes into a coma. He's like, "Fuck, now what?" Now I'm in charge, I guess. Shit. Like the the fall of Avalon is very much clearly like a clearing of the deck, where it's like Mm -hmm. nobody cares about Rusty and Skids. We love them, you know, but like obviously in the '90s, (laughs) no one did. They got rid of them, dropped them out of the sky. The acolytes don't really make sense anymore. We know we have this like powerful faction of mutants orbiting the planet, but. The Acolytes conceptually kind of have two problems, which is their uniforms make them kind of samey, and their naming convention of not using code names and just using their surnames makes it hard to remember who the fuck they are. Yes, right? Like,
1: There's a reason that Frenzy, who was a pre-existing character, is the one who's really survived yeah. because she has a code
0: name. And like vote we can gets tied to Xavier, and Anusione, we all know who she is, because like Cause her
1: name's cool, and we're just like, look at that, that's a name we recognize. <laughs>
0: There's a joke, actually, in one of the comics I was reading. It's one of the Romita art ones where Havoc literally points at one and is like, I don't know what your power is. I wonder if we'll ever see what it is. And it's clearly an in-joke from the writers being like, who the fuck which is Which one that? is that? The purple one with the beard. Like, right. What does he do? <laughs> he never does anything. <laughs> and there's
1: so many of them. And some of them do have code names. Like Scanner is not her name.
0: Sure. Neophyte similarly never yeah, a name. Right. Which I- Actually, like him as a character, but most of them are like Cargill, and yeah, like, Meloncam, uh, stocks Kleinstock. Kleinstocks, uh, Melon. You said Melon, yeah, <laughs> Senyaka, Senyaka, yeah, like-
1: Vindaloo, Presumably Oof, not rough. his, uh, not his actual name. Chrome was one of them too. So there are some with kodos, but they're really not ones that matter.
0: Yeah, Delgado. Yeah, you know. and
1: the Cortezes, obviously.
0: <laughs> Cortez. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so. There is a way that, like, the Acolytes feel like a loose end. As I said, I do think the big missing scene is, like, why the fuck Magneto? Like, why is he... What did Magneto do to earn this... Why does Bene
1: worship Magneto specifically is not something we've ever really had answered for us. So
0: if they were, like, Anthony Wright giant-size X-Men Exodus, I would... Do flashbacks to explain that. And I would think about like the defrost we've been kind of thinking about. Yeah. Like what does it mean when an old soldier finally gets everything he wanted? Is there a way to lay down your arms for him? Or is it just he will always be showing people the wounds that hopefully they don't have to have, right? Like right. he never got he never gets the moment Magneto gets where everyone's like, Magneto, Magneto, and he's like it was worth it, right? Like, I think that's very sad. Exodus
1: never gets
0: that. No one thanks him for what he's done. Even though he's lost so much, he lost everything to have this dream realized. Yeah. And we just talk about what a drip he is.
1: (laughs) This is funny. Zach Jenkins writes, what book of the Bible, or Tanakh, I'm not picky, should he really have used as his namesake? Because for the life of me, I'm not seeing Exodus as consistent with his narrative. Deus Volt, Zachary Jenkins. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, notably, he claims to have been named by Magneto, but was definitely named by Apocalypse. Yeah. Um, hmm. It'd be funny if he was just John. <laughs> he is kind of a... He is the second law. Actually, you know
1: what? You know what it is? Lamentation. Yeah, okay,
0: yeah. Actually,
1: wild that Lamentation has never been an X-Men villain
0: has been used no there's something ecclesiastical about him he could be that's true ecclesiast. ecclesiastes is very mournful too hmm Lamentation's a good name That's he's not yeah. really he, maybe not for him
1: well he's, he's just so bummed all the time though he is you a you know what I mean yeah. but no I think that I think Lamentation would be a that's a different character but it's a character I now want to create I mean it would be hard <laughs> to be named
0: Deuteronomy because I immediately think of the cat of the from... cat from Cats right <laughs> And like you know, proverb is not really a code name. (laughs) Sure, yeah. And then like a lot of them are a lot of them are
1: prophets or ethnic groups, tribes and things, right? Like Philippians, Mm. Colossians, Thessalonians. He could be a Tim Timothy Timothy. Some have called me Tim. Some have called me (laughs) Tim. I (laughs) have said that I think. revelation is a cool code name that someone ought to have
0: mm. he is the revelation yeah that like is... he is
1: that's like well he's honestly he's he's more like he's an annunciation. like he comes yeah. he's
0: the angel that comes down to deliver the word right Yeah. You know what he, I was thinking about this, but I, whatever, like we've already been called out for being too academic. Like there's a lot of like Enoch in him. Like he is kind of, he is the man who ascends to heaven and becomes the Metatron and now has descended to bring the, the word of God down, right? Like he would understand that.
1: Yeah. I mean, Metatron would have been a better code name than Exodus, honestly. yeah, It also would have been very nineties because it sounds like a Transformer.
0: Yeah, you're one letter away from a lawsuit. That's yeah. true.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that leads to Adam Levine writes, You're Connor and Anthony. I understand Exodus was introduced in the 90s. Therefore, why isn't his name X-Odus? And that is a great question. Because honestly, yeah. if we're following the the thing.
0: He used to be an
1: Odus. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, what's a Cutioner?
0: Yeah, that's true. X-Odus. Yeah. X-Odus. He might use it as an alias, like... (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Otis? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Mr. Otis regrets.
1: (laughs) He cannot come to the... (laughs) Last question. Krakoa Welcomes writes... Hey! Exodus and Sinister must compete to craft a high-fashion look within 24 hours using old uniforms and found material from the X-Mansion. Who wins? Oof, old material. Mm. It's like a project runway, like, you know, reusable materials challenge.
0: Right, right. Is it important that I think about what the material is? The materials uh, that would be
1: hanging around in the X mansion specifically.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. What's down there? A lot
1: of waspy furniture, some yes, unstable yeah. molecules, spandex. Yeah. I think techology. there's like some
0: interesting, yeah, there's a lot of Shiar tech. Um, you might use some of the ferns in uh, Storm's Sure, like, in her, her like, topieries like, and stuff. Yeah, you could maybe do something interesting with, like, a found, yeah, material that way. Like, maybe get some points.
1: Or some poinsettias if it's uh, Christmas
0: time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Exodus wins, and he does so by making a hat out of the engarai cairn that's in the backyard, where he's got, like, a cool pyramidal shape atop his head, and then he's used the stone to like into like a beaded garment that is like hanging down that is like evoking templeness. Maybe that's one possibility.
1: I love that. I think that Exodus wins because I don't think Sinister is creative enough. Is really like the yeah, core Yeah, his looks are He's ripped
0: off Dracula,
1: <laughs> and he only has like the one look. I mean, he has some variations on it, but Sinister loves what he loves, and Sinister doesn't really like to experiment with his look that much. Mm. And I think that he would have trouble. Like, he also wants—he's very control freaky. I don't think he would want to use like found materials. He'd be like, "I want to use my guy downtown, right? Right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's there British. Sinister is kind of, I guess. Sinisters yeah. British. <laughs> now I have to do like Paul Lynch, but British. I have to think about that." <laughs> Before the
0: sinister episode, I'll come up with that voice. I think that Exodus is such a renaissance man. Yes. Like, by nature, mm-hmm. that he would come up with something brilliant. Like, yeah, there's, like, shrapnel from the the exploded jet down there. Okay, maybe one of his looks is that he finds one of Husk's discarded Oh, skins. no. <laughs> 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 and he's, like, stitched together a beautiful little bolero. <laughs> Oh, God.
1: Well, Tone, is there anything else you'd like to say about old Benny P before we start to wrap?
0: I hope I made some case for this character being (laughs) worthwhile. Like, I, it's funny to say that, considering he is so central, but I don't know, he's- I think he's fun because he's not fun, like there is like I said, like a straight man he's a stick ball. in the mud, yeah, that's like, why
1: it's fun to put him with sinister
0: exactly,
1: and if we do take him to Avalon, actually this just occurred to me if we do take him to to other worlds at all to do Cameloty stuff, he and Jamie Braddock would similarly be very funny characters to put in a room together, oh
0: yeah he can't he can't stand that <laughs> energy it's yeah, like, that's like he like, can't deal with that please calm down, yeah, I think that that would be fun, and uh I don't know, I just uh i I, I have great sympathy for this character. I love seeing a gay sad boy. Um, representation matters. <laughs> <So> <laughs> there you have it.
1: Well, Tony, why don't you remind listeners where they can follow you online and plug anything you want to plug. You Ooh. have some exciting new announcements. I guess I nice do, yeah. Uh, you on the can,
0: pod. I do. You can follow me on Twitter at MiaKoopa, bad Latin joke, uh, very exodus, I guess. Depending on when you're listening to this, because it's coming out pretty fast uh in 2022 probably um i have a book coming out called day spring which is a novel which is speaking of gay sad boys uh gospel from the perspective (laughs) of the beloved disciple yes hopefully i have some comic book stuff soon but nothing to announce just yet um yeah that's about it. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and
1: Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dream of Organon. You can find all of the episodes plus links to the merch store, the Discord server, and the Patreon at CerebroCast.com, the official landing page for the podcast. For five dollars a month at the House of Zaladine tier at patreon.com cerebrocast. You can get an ad free version of every episode right when they go up. There are also bonus files, secret episodes that are coming your way soon. I've been behind on those things. Thank you for your patience, but more are coming. And I'm going to draft this one into more of them, I'm sure, because I'm very
0: persistent. Always happy to hide behind a paywall.
1: Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) I like having you all to myself and (laughs) roughly 700 of my close friends who are paying (laughs) for it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, (laughs) the rest of, you know, I mean, there's a market of people. told. You should see some of the. I mean, I'm, I know you do, but listeners should see some of the the tweets we get whenever we have a conversation. Oh, People oh yeah. are.
0: I think the funniest thing is that if you look this podcast up on TV tropes, yeah, our our relationship is on there.
1: As oh, like a trope. that's cute as a trope. <laughs> yeah. Are we like
0: friendly exes or whatever? Yeah, it's a bunch of those. Like actually quite a few of them. I thought it was very funny when I saw That's it. very cute. I got a Google alert and I was like, what is this? Oh
1: I haven't <laughs> checked that because I get I don't read reviews of the podcast or anything because I I get the anxiety, but maybe I'll check out. That, that. one you can
0: look at. That one's fun. It's maybe like, I'll
1: have like a I'll have a friend like
0: check it for me. First no, I'm, I'm I I'm am your friend out. and I'm telling you. Well, no, I know. If you've fun.
1: seen it recently, then I trust your judgment. <laughs> I mean it's jokes about our sex life so i trust you if you think they're funny (laughs) anyway thank you for being my guest it's always so much fun always a pleasure thank you for letting
0: me talk about this big dopey sad guy
1: (laughs) (laughs) coming up for the rest of december we have ash elaine joining me to talk about prodigy and then for christmas zach jenkins of battle of the atom joins me to talk about nate gray Got a lot of exciting stuff that I'm lining up right now for January, and I will tell you all about that when I can. For now, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, everybody, bye. Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to
0: destroy the world. Only hope is...